Hello and welcome to the first episode of our brand new podcast, Allies of Convenience, a name which will make perfect sense when you see the motley crew of gamers we have got together here for you. Um, we are dedicated to the competitive Warhammer 40,000 scene from uh, the UK, Europe and of course across the world. Uh, so let's introduce your cast members. My name is Alex Ray. Uh, I will be your presenter and host for Proceedings. I'm quite new to the competitive world of Warhammer 40,000. Um, very, very interested in uh, learning more about it. So I will be your guide on this journey. Next up, we have got Matt Robertson. Hello. 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 Uh, we have got Andy Oakham. Evening, guys. Uh, we have got James Ramsey. Hello. Uh, we have got Adam Ryland. Hello, guys. We have got Gaz Jones. Hello. And uh, via magic transatlantic wizardry, we have got Jesse Newton and Matt Serino. Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, so we have managed to collect together some of the finest gaming minds in the known world. Um, unfortunately, none of them are here with us tonight, so you're going to be listening to all these guys talk. Um, basically, the plan of this podcast is to pick up the slack, bring you some great coverage of the UK tournament scene, but also some of the differences between the tournament setups and the meta and some of the powerful lists that are appearing. And we're going to just be going through that every fortnight, pretty much. Um, we're going to open it up with a, you know, a brief introduction with all the players and what we've been up to recently. Um, so, Robbo, should we start with you? Yep, can do. Now, so what have you been up to? This last week, I've managed to get three games lasting a total of possibly two and a half hours combined. <coughs> Is that with your new top secret list that we are not revealing as of yet? Yep, but it will be on the scene at Heat 1 this weekend. Excellent, excellent. Um, so you're feeling pretty confident and well prepared for that. Uh, I'm flat building the models, so not really. Andy's hopefully <laughs> going to pull me out of the bag by getting them all painted this week. Hey. Big plug for Andy's services there. <laughs> and Gary, and Gary. Yeah, Gary's not here though. Hopefully, not? hopefully, hopefully, Gary Percival will be joining us in the future, but he couldn't make it tonight. Um, what have you been up to, Andy? Um. I've actually been painting quite a bit recently. Um, I've set my little man cave back up. Um, so, yeah, the little plug for me and Gary P's, uh, <coughs> Gary Percival's painting services. Um, so, uh, not... what is that? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I actually can't remember the name. What did we call, <laughs> what did we call it? Let me think. Where the uh, hell can the people find you if they want to get you to do stuff? Most we, do have a group, we do have a group on Facebook. Um, if I can remember the name... I'll find it for you in a bit. Um, we have a little, uh, yeah, a little group on there um, where you can just send us a message and we'll do, we'll put your order through reasonable prices. Helps out uh, Gary, especially. Um, it gives me some extra beer money. Um, 40k wise gaming. Ooh, I took a bit of a hiatus. I played a few games here and there. Been to a couple of tournaments. Uh, went to the ETC. Um, and we went to the uh, Northern Warlords tournament at the weekend. Um, got smashed. Uh, shows my lack of knowledge for the game. I was going to uh, say, was that in-game or afterwards? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
not playing and being out of the loop for a bit really hurt, I must say. Um, you really got to keep on top of things, especially when they add all these like Imperial Knights and Forge World Rules and stuff flying about, <coughs> and they're just secret FAQs. You've got to really keep on top of it. To be fair, that could be true if you you know took two weeks out these days. Like the pace of the releases and that sort of stuff, it, it's really really hectic, and it must be really difficult for you guys to keep up with on a like a competitive level. Yeah, it wasn't so bad when we was hammering it out week in week out, but if you do take a little break, <coughs> you really you really feel it when you get back into it. Adam Rylance, you still there, sir? Oh. Hello. Oh, I've been basically in my gaming room this week, trying to make room. Can't move. Too many monkey cases in. That's what you want to hear. For some reason, they give them away at tournaments or something. Is that your way of showing off your recent successes? Yeah, pretty much. I've <laughs> uh, been painting quite a bit trying to get some demons finished anticipating Dark Elder being good so I want to get the demons finished ready for Dark Elder they'd probably be rubbish but you got to hope um, that's about all I've been up to um, you were at uh, Warlords right? yeah that's right cool we're going to be uh, trying to get through a little bit of a review of that as well as well as um, we're going to be going through uh, Robbo and Chucky's Nova experience uh, as well as talking to Jesse and Matt a little bit later on in the podcast as well. Um, uh, Gaz. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm all right. Uh, what have you been up to recently? Um, weirdly enough, not a lot since the ETC, except for loaning all my models out to everybody. Sitting back hey. and watching the uh, fruits of your list-building labours. Uh, yeah. yeah, everyone going, wow, your list is really good. Can, can, I, can I borrow it? <laughs> like, yes, you can borrow it. Matt's like, oh, I'm not good enough to win Nova without it. I need to take it. So, yeah, uh, he borrowed my army, and he still managed to cock it all up. <laughs> How do you feel uh, about that list in terms of the GT sort of comp restrictions? Because it seems pretty much like ninety percent of all the comp uh, kind of affects that list. Pretty much, it's like I wonder why. <laughs> Is it to do with something that half the bloody GT comp writing rules team are on the Welsh team and the other half are on the English team and they all hate me? So, <laughs> no. It's basically, it just screws my list totally. But, you know, I'll still try and win something with it. Uh, we'll give you a bit more insight into that list uh, in the Nova review that we've got coming up for you later. Um, but it's a pretty nasty Eldar, Dark Eldar um, Double Death Star with summoning... Triple Death Star. Nice thing is, America doesn't hate you, though. So. <laughs> Yay! Hello, Jesse. Hello. Um, you and Matt are both in a good mood at the moment, right? Because you had a pretty good result with the Eagles tonight. I got to watch a football on that, or a football fight on national TV, so... It was, it was all right. All good. Uh, you guys uh, having fun in the store at the moment? Yeah, it's a little busy. Matt's, uh, Matt's currently hunkered down up towards the front of the store where all the magic is going on, and he looks like he's having a decent time. Uh, what, guy, what have you guys been up to recently? Obviously, um, you're doing all of the cool team stomping ground stuff, uh, and you've been involved um, with the 11th Company podcast and your own streams and that sort of thing. Um, what sort of stuff have you been up to recently? 
Um, after Nova, it kind of switched into testing a lot of uh, lists for BFS. I know Matt's been working on, on a bunch of lists and playing a bunch of test games with him. Uh, trying to iron out what I want to take and just trying to learn this uh, packet. So they're using the Bay Area Open packet and it uh, has a modified Maelstrom and everything. And just kind of going with it. I didn't have enough time to put together uh, Gaz's list. Otherwise, maybe I would have given that a shot, but... <clears throat> what was the sort of reception for that in, in the States? Uh, funny enough, when people first saw it, they thought it was, like, some of the people I talked to thought it was bad. And then, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't know, as far as everybody's concerned, serpents are still the king because Matt decided to uh, crap the bed and, and lose <laughs> with it. I blame the sheep. I blame Don't the blame sheep. The sheep. The sheep I blame you taking second turn, Matt. That was the mission, Gaz. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You just smash face and then you win. There's sub the mission. I think it's, I think it's just players. another example of how um, you know Europe is ahead of uh, North America when it comes to meta advancement, though. Personally. Um, yeah, so, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell everyone the list? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go into detail uh, with the list in the in the Nova review, so we'll run through it in full. Um, ah, uh, okay. Um, Chucky is back now, so let's uh, find out what you've been up to. Hello. Hi. Um, so I came back from Nova, and then I needed to um, work out something I was going to play because I was playing Flamont creatures, <coughs> and they're okay, but I don't think they're. It's quite as good here as they are at Nova because of the terrain here. And um, to be honest, Adam is a better player than me at that list. So, yeah, I'd, I'd just be copying his list. So I kind of think what I should do. So I've been trying to break 4-12 for GT because I thought that would be quite funny. Um, so I've been, re you know, quite, I know, I know quite a bit about 4-12. So I'm trying to find all the super heavies <coughs> that fit underneath their comp limit and trying to abuse... Lords of War, and I think I've got a pretty decent list, so we'll wait and see. I've, I've got to wait till Heat 3, though, so probably they'll change all the rules and it won't work, so I'll have to work out something else. Uh, so have you guys, just in general, been doing a lot of preparation for the GT Heats? Obviously, the GT's kind of like the, the, the highlight of the competitive calendar here in the UK. Um, what sort of prep have you guys been doing? A lot, or just you know, feeling your list out? I know I've signed up to, well, I'm supposed to be going to Heat 2. I signed up to Heat 1 on Friday because I'm free for the weekend, so why not? Then I'm running Heat 3, so so far it's been right in the pack, helping with that, and then trying to build models last minute as usual. Um, I'm not playing many games. I won't play any, probably won't play any games. I might have Vassal or two. I've had one Vassal game since then, but um, I, I just... I guess the heat's quite similar. The heat's are quite similar to Cali, which is what I think most people will kind of look forward to because Cali's really big, and because there's really similar rules packs, like only just slight modifications on some of the rules. I think Cali's <laughs> using the GT missions, so yeah, the same missions. They up the limit on Worlds of War slightly. Um, don't know why, but they just let more broken stuff in. But uh, the, then they've uh, they've made obviously eighteen fifty. Um, which will be fun in three hours, but we'll see how it goes. It'll be good. Uh, what do you guys think about, you know, you said that they're using kind of similar rules packets. How important do you think it is to have some sort of uh, consistency in, in formats um, in, in the competitive scene here? 
I think it's really important um, to have the consistency because otherwise you just from tournament to tournament you're having to rethink your list and unfortunately that generally means rethinking your bank balance. <laughs> yeah. So it's and it's a problem, but I think it's also quite a good moment. I don't know how <coughs> obviously the ETC will change, but it's good for the ETC guys because their um the missions are very similar to that to their missions, so getting a lot of practice and if it's the same rules pack it's good to keep you keeping maelstrom and that kind of thing in the heads like nova was so different because nova didn't have any maelstrom at all so it was very much a completely different um style of missions i think it's good to play different rules packs though but i think what you're looking for mainly is the faqs to be the same yeah and uh, having good Good rulings, I guess. <laughs> rulings that don't well, screw your army over. The FAQs being consistent is quite important, I suppose. Only from a sort of selfish point of view, in terms that when you go from one event to the next and you keep getting different organisers writing different FAQs to suit their tournament, which is fine, they're perfectly within their right to do that. That's not a problem. It just gets kind of frustrating um, that you have one rule in your head and you go to another event, turn up, and then you get halfway through a game, realise you've been playing it wrong and been cheating someone out of the game. Or something like that. Yeah, I think but, it's normally quite good in the UK because we've, when the GT does the FAQ, the majority of events are either run by the guys running the GT, or do pick up on the FAQ. So there's a lot of consistency there. I mean, do you think yeah. that's because we're like a, a more of a closer knit community in terms of, you know, as opposed to say the United States where they've got such a a wide gap between the east and the west coasts. They're they're basically going to be ending up playing different games. But um, you know, here pretty much everyone sees everyone at every major. Um, do you think that's more of the case? Yeah, it seems so. I, I don't know about American guys, but it seems like uh, everyone here plays the same. Everyone plays everybody, and so. You, uh, you know, there's no need for. I mean, there's some variations, some of the FAQs. Some people disagree with some of the rules. So maybe they'll change. Like down south, I know they used to have slightly different rules for some some of their tournaments. But most most tournaments in the Midlands or the, or the north are, are quite. They all use a similar sort of rules. It tends to be run, like you say, by the same group of people, <coughs> isn't it? So, and even if it's not run by the same group of people, it has the same lot of um, gamers. So new tournament organisers or, or occasional organisers will generally ask the more experienced guys what their thoughts are and what they do. Um, so it, it, it is quite similar um, in terms of FAQs and stuff like that, but sometimes they do differ, and that's, that's where the problems arise. Yeah, and there's a there's a big divide here in the states. I mean, like the the majority of the competitive gaming is done on the east coast, and you know we we have a completely different FAQ that is done than what's done on the west coast. And then the big the, the big middle is Adepticon. Like that's the biggest tournament, biggest convention, and frankly the best bang for your buck for like going to an event. It's it's just a load of fun. But even going out there where we get the east and the west that typically meets, they're just usually completely on their own so they do something they do something completely different they use a different set of faqs so so even in the middle ground it's not like a, a, a meeting meeting of our systems it's different so we, we have three distinct uh, variations 
And then on top of it, in three variations, and then you get smaller tournaments that all kind of do the spin-off variations. They pick one of those three, but then even they'll take an FAQ and they'll modify that FAQ and they'll modify that mission packet and they'll just modify stuff as they go. And that's what also kind of gets annoying is like, yeah, you literally before every event, I mean, you have to sit down and like read through their FAQ. I mean, I don't know if I've gone to an event in the last two years where I haven't emailed a tournament organizer eight to ten questions beforehand just trying to figure out like what's going on what are they changing and how are they changing it because and that's, that's a, all they do is change and that's, a, that's a very good practice to have in general anyway um and i definitely think in the in the future as we go on it'd be great to do um like a segment on you know preparation for going to a tournament what you should be doing you know emailing organizers and and just checking for clarifications on on some stuff because the worst thing in the world must be you know playing something one way you go there, and that's like one of your strongest strategies in your in your build that you've got in your list, and you realise it's not going to work because they play it a mm. different way. It happened to me at the ETC um, with, with one of the rulings. I had a ref rule one way uh, with multi charge, and then half. Uh, I think even uh, it was the last game of the event. I think. Oh no, it was in. It was even from the singles. It was ruled one way, and then. Uh, the fourth game of the team event, um, one of the other refs came over to me and told me to play it a different way. So that was, what, 10th game in, which was a little daft. So it it made you feel like people thought you were cheating, but I was playing within the rules that I was told by the referees. And then suddenly it gets changed. It was it's quite frustrating. And that's something definitely we we'll probably get into when we go uh, start rev- going through our tournament reviews. Um, judging is definitely not the easiest job in the world, and very appreciative to anyone that puts their time and effort and is willing to dedicate their time to being a judge in a tournament because it's a pretty thankless task. Um, but it's definitely something that's really important, and it can it can fuck up your weekend pretty much if you get you know if you're at the at the end of a shitty call. Yeah, it really can. But thankfully, it didn't matter too much. But like you say, refereeing is a difficult job. I would never do it personally. I've, I've opted to do it once before, and it's just so hard. But um, fair play to the guys that do do it, because you can get some tougher arguments to sides. They just yeah, want it their way and don't want to see it any other way. Especially from what I've heard at the ETC. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, lots of stories about uh, one of my good friends, Neil Kerr, being a fantastic referee. So uh, I can tell you them later, I'm sure. Um, so, what are you guys feeling at the moment in terms of the the release schedule? Because that must be one of the most difficult things to keep up with as a competitive player. If you're like a fluffy player or just a fun player, then you know new stuff coming out all the time isn't really a huge issue, apart from all new shiny things. But you know, trying to keep up with all of the the rules changes and all that stuff, what's that like for you guys at the moment? We've just been talking about this, haven't we? The last few days, it's been quite quite big. It's quite. Um, See, personally, I love it. I love this whole change. I, I love the whole. I could, don't. I don't, it feels to me like a lot. Like I don't play a lot, but like things like League of Legends, League of Legends or that kind of uh, competitive kind of games where you have esports. I believe they call them. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Where it's more. It's like you have constant changes, and there's always something new. And um, like you know, you're not sitting there playing like tournament after tournament with Josh Roberts using the same list, <laughs> smashing everybody. You know, like you've got you had to get that in there, didn't you? Remember? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you have like different lists. Um, like every every tournament is a different list. I mean, apart from Beast Pack, which has been pretty like dominant for ages, but otherwise, there's been decent li- this decent new lists and ideas. And 
um, you think, oh, you think, oh, okay, I'm going to try and make, mix up a bit myself, and then you find out that it's completely changed again. It's quite, it's just fun to follow, um, and it's good for someone that likes to dabble in lots of different armies. It's quite fun, but I know, you know we've had different opinions. Like trying to keep up with all the rules is it is definitely you need. Yeah, if you want to keep up with rules, you need to put time in to find them and to read them. You haven't got if you've only got you know a, an odd weekend. You're not going to spend that time reading rules. You're going to spend that time doing painting or whatever. So, or actually, actually, yeah. actually getting games in as well. Yeah, if you can. Yeah. The other big problem is, you know, it's it's hard to plan. At least here, you know, it's hard for us to plan for a GT because the meta is ever shifting. Like you just you just don't know. You know, it's not like it used to be where it's like, okay, you know, at the end of fifth edition, it's like, all right, I can expect to see Grey Knights, Space Wolves. Imperial Guard. Can I beat those three armies? Okay, I'll do pretty decent. Or, you know, sixth edition, even where we had you know, it was still this rapid release, but you had these kind of these kind of standout lists. You had Seer Council, you had a Vesa Star, you know, you, you could expect to see them. And okay, how do you beat them? Or grab bikers. Here it just it's so fluid right now that people are like, I, I don't know what to do and you know, you have the most random matchups that pop up, and it's like, oh, I have no answer to this because I didn't think of it. You know, there is no meta yet, and that, that's really hard for as a competitive player to spend a lot of money to go. Well, you're going to hit a complete opposite, though. Like, we talk about this fast release schedule they're having now, and if you believe what you're hearing from Games Workshop and how, you know, from us as a store and what we're hearing from the store end, you know, it seems like once they're done this rapid release, we're just not going to see a 40K codex for, like, six months so you're it's gonna i think that's gonna be the weirdest thing it's gonna go from one extreme to the other you're gonna get this here's a here's a new book every three weeks and then we're gonna go oh here's no book for half a year and just have fun and i think you will see a really good meta kind of get defined then what i do like at the moment though is um as jesse mentioned like if you look at the tail end of fifth it was pretty much um 50 of the 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 field was gray knights because that was so far head and shoulders above everything else that you know any any competent competitive player that wants to arm themselves in the best way is going to take them but now like there's not just one top tier army you're able to put together like, even when it was death star 40k um just before seventh came out um it was still a good three or four different death stars not just one um that people were taking so that seems seems at least a lot more interesting in terms of you know, keeping a bit of flavor there rather than just playing the same shit every game and every game. But simultaneously, you know, if it is the same shit all the time and you know it, then you could build like actual lists that are that are designed to frankly beat the meta. You know, we had guys with like Matt DeFranza, he you know, he was he was known for playing a Sierra Council here in the States. But he was developing a lot of lists that were designed to just kind of shit on random tournaments. Or random tournaments. Random like top tier lists and the thing is in in a stable meta you can you can bring those wacky meta busting lists that do well still it's and rely on your play skill to get you out of the the random brackets but or the random matchups that are usually early on to get to playing the better players that you're expecting to beat but i mean right now just kind of you you can't take that risk right now and i kind of don't like that you know i don't like the idea that you you know it's a real it's a real tough tough lot like you either take what you know is a super hard list that just is genuinely decent all around you know essentially like a death star style list mm. or you or you you know hope for a crapshoot so you're saying it, it 
makes players sort of play play a more um, conservative style and and take safer, more guaranteed lists rather than experimenting with the more interesting, flavorful stuff. Yeah, you can you can take those risky lists. You just have to rely on your play skill to beat the frankly the wonky matchups that you're going to run into and those random lists. But that's just what the game is. You're talking about a, a game that has what a dozen more than a dozen different armies, and in like each army there's yeah exactly supplements yeah, as well. And then in each of those books there's fifty different units, so the the possibility you're going to run into is endless for what yeah. the lists are going to look like. So you know what? I, if anything, sure, it's there's not a stable meta. You can't go and going. I'm going to see this, and you have to kind of maybe take a list that's going to have some bad matchups. And if you run into them, okay, well, relying your player skill to value out. Like that's kind of what people have to but, deal with. But you are still seeing, like, the, at least here in the states, you are still seeing the top tier players take very standardized, very clear-cut lists that are just like they're not taking they're not taking them for any reason other than they're just like like you're seeing death stars and things like that like you're you're seeing death stars uh, as still a thing and whereas if there was a meta you can you know you could focus around that and people are playing it safe with their list choices you know they are taking safe things are not they're not being playing risky lists because they just don't know what to expect well we're going to go through yeah. some of those lists um that we saw at nova and obviously famously um tony kopach did really well with the the serpent list which is pretty much based around mitigating randomness and obviously the the night list again you're not worrying about variants in terms of rolling psychic powers and that sort of stuff it's it's you know what you're going to get and it's pretty pretty standard um Guys, in the UK, are we seeing any sort of meta um, appearing yet? Or are we seeing people playing all kinds of wacky lists? What's going on over here so far? Um, I don't know really yet because we haven't allowed nights until <coughs> now in the UK. Uh, as a general, sort of across all the tournaments, the GT seems to be the first one to really allow them um, on the independent scene. I know Games Workshop have, obviously, but none of the real top gamers tend to go to <coughs> tournaments anymore run by games workshop but i i i don't know if there's been a meta or not i don't know what any other guys think well, i don't know if one yet i think have, after heat one we'll have, have a bit more of an idea crutch. Have yeah fun but, with the crutch guys but even <laughs> even heat one is not like like 25 30 players it's not and i think because it's um you look at the list of players going, and there are some people. There are some big tournament players, but there's a lot of local gamers. I don't know if you'll get a good, like, meta until I think you'll have to wait until Cali to see any sort of yeah. feel like you know where you'll find everybody will they be there, you know most people who are there uh, who are tournament gamers, and then you'll see, okay, right, we've got knights dominating, and you know seven out of ten are, are knights, so that must mean knights are the best. I don't think you'll see that until Cali. To be honest. Tournaments, they have really hit the ball a bit, haven't they? They're just starting to pick up now. So it's been a struggle, really, tournament. And do you think that's because no one sort of really had set on a format yet or because people were finding it difficult to dedicate the time to transition over to 7th? What do you think caused that drop-off? From running Warlords, I know at first everyone seemed a bit like, oh, 7th, uh, not too sure what's going on with it, how it's working. Then, like, two weeks before... After you've had a month and a bit of seventh, I had so many people. Oh, can I get tickets still? I'll sell tickets. There's a lot of interest in the end, 
it was just slow getting off the ground as everyone was a bit unsure with seventh how it was going to work, what was going on, and more what armies do want to play. Will there still work? Well, I was going to say people just had a break. I think also at summer, you know, during the summer, people I find people don't play as much here in the UK. People seem to tournaments drop off for a bit, and there's ETC. But if you're not interested in ETC, if you're not playing that, then you know, people drop off and have a break. And I think that's what people have been kind of reassessing, like what should, how should we play 40k? How do, how do all the rules work together? What should we do? And uh, I think people are starting to realise now that it's not as bad, and it's actually probably better. Than <coughs> Yeah, I think personally, it's better than six. So uh, hopefully that'll pick up again. I mean, so you're basically saying that you feel that people are are maybe sort of holding off until they know what they're dealing with, what what they're going to be playing, and then they can sort of put the time in to to putting together a list and then building an army. Because obviously that's a that's a huge investment of money and time for a lot of people that aren't getting someone else to do it for them or buying it cheap off of eBay. Yeah, um, I mean, like just like anything, you like. When you see like back in fifth or sixth, and you have like a Vesta style, or you had Grey Knights, you need someone to like, <laughs> you need some people to set the trends to let everybody else know what's kind of going on. So like you'll need to wait until you know some of the big tournaments have gone, and then people will start to to either copy or you know take bits from people's lists and go, okay, I'm going to run that. That sounds like a good idea. Because a lot of people have got no idea what is a good list at the moment in 40k you know it's so it's so and that's that's uh, that's even that's even dependent on literally what the rules packs are because a good list in one you know if if, if you're not playing um the gt style or the etc style with um mixed missions with the the eternal eternal war and the maelstrom at the same time that makes you know one type of build much better than if you are playing maelstrom and you need to be hitting up objectives every turn um even something as small as that can, can can shift things for people. I think you got the problem. Sixth edition actually made a lot of people quit. There's an awful lot of people in our local area what just don't play anymore. You've got to try and attract new players now because I don't think they're going to come back to the game. Yeah, I mean, things like X-Wing, it's, it's really, I know it's really big uh, and holds more machines still. I mean, with, well a, with, a, with a game like X-Wing as well, where it's so easy to just pick up models and start playing, um, whereas you look at you look at 40k now and you're you're looking at you know a, a 60 pound rule book, a 30 pound codex, and at least you know 250, 300 pounds on on models if you're buying them through legitimate um, sources. That's like a huge investment for for someone to even just get in and and you might have just bought a load of crap that's no good. So, yeah, like I, yeah. I can see how I can see how it is very, very difficult for, for people to, to justify that, um, especially yeah. when you're seeing the tournament scene basically operating independently entirely of Games Workshop with no support, as opposed to, you know, something like War Machine and Hordes, where they get so much support and input from, you know, the, the private press that are, that are publishing the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I, I'm someone who likes to keep up with all the rules because I love Forge. I think it's a really, it's a great, um, the great models, and I think the rules actually are pretty. Most of the time, they're pretty good. It's so ridiculous the way they've spread out all the rules over millions of different books and <coughs> updates. And that was that was always my problem sites. with including Forge World in um, in tournament. It wasn't that anything was super broken because it definitely isn't compared to like some of the top stuff in the codexes. It's the fact that. 
where do you find what's the most current rules for this model that you're using? How can I, how can I keep up to, to date with what's going on? How am I able to, to know what your units do, you know, without spending, you know, 80 quid on a, on a hardback book? Yeah, it's it's hard, and you know, unless you're going to go into you know piracy and you know stealing basically stealing books off the internet, there's not else. A lot. It's very difficult to keep up. Uh, and that's that's never rules. that's never like a, a viable answer to anything. Like that's no, that's no, exactly. So what so all you end up doing is, you know, basically running into a unit which you've never seen before, which obviously never goes well normally, and then you go oh, okay. And then you never, you probably never see it again because no, no, someone else won't use it. And that ruins your weekend, possibly. You know, that can be, you know, that can be the the make or break of your weekend. And you know, it's not like, it's not like people have got infinite money and time to throw away into this stuff. So if you're if you if you turn up to a tournament and you get tabled by something you've never seen before, then that that can be an issue. And that comes back to, you know, a lot of sixth edition as well. You can turn up, think you've got a decent list. You play someone that's got beast pack. You know, or you play someone that's got um, that towel and they seize you, and you know, thanks very much for coming. So, as a random aside, it's I turn to Jesse as you're running down the cost of everything. You're like, oh, a thirty pound rule book, and I turn to Jesse. I'm like, I don't think the rule book weighs that much. Because <laughs> of course I do. I'm like, I, I'm like, and he's and he's like, yeah, he's like, hey, two hundred pounds for an army. I'm like. I'm sure my army's no plastic doesn't weigh that much. It's just, you just don't it's good. It's good. Sorry, that was the first thing I thought. 30 pounds. I'm like, holy crap, that's a heavy rule book. How much is a codex for you guys out there? Uh, 49, 49.50. Yeah, so that's about the same. It's about the same. Yeah. I mean, what have you guys seen? You know, you, you, you guys run a store. You're heavily involved with the competitive scene as well. What have you guys seen in terms of you know, obviously the duration of six and into seventh about, you know, the competitive players. Are you seeing a lot of players leaving like we saw here in, in the UK? Not really. If anything, I mean, at least locally for us here at the store and, and kind of the local north, I mean, we're obviously northeast. Um, no, we, we really haven't lost a lot of the local players. You see a lot more of like, um, so there's a site, I don't even know if you guys have a barter town. It's, um, it's a site that you can buy. I don't know if Bartend works internally, but uh, it, you buy and sell models pretty much with other players. So it's like the buy, sell, market, trade. Basically. Yeah, and well, it's you know, and, and how it works is so like if you if you you post up on a forum, hey, I'm looking for these models, and then play or people on there have ratings. So whoever has the higher rating, so like if you know if you and I want to if I want to buy models from you and I have a higher rating, you ship me the models and then I pay you. So it's it's a little bit of like a trust thing. Um, normally, you don't work with people who don't have uh, you know a couple hundred transactions under their belt just to be safe. But yeah, like you'll see a lot of guys just doing that, and we do like little bizarre bazaars where guys come in to sell models, frankly, between each other. But yeah, I mean, like people are still buying armies. I mean, Justin Cook is one of the prime guys. Like he's like he just wants an army, and you know he he has a good job. He's like I'm just gonna buy this army. I don't care. Like we we really haven't lost same, people. Yeah. We really haven't lost people competitively with the pricing. People got a, are a lot more conservative. Like, I know when I started playing the game years ago, it was 
you know, I, I know guys who own every army, and they go, new army comes out, I buy whatever I want. And now the prices have gone up, you're just a little more conservative. Now it's, okay, you know, I'll, I'll maybe consider buying this. And we also have, like, the team, you know, we're 12 guys on the team. Our store community is 30 active players. Between everyone at the store and guys on the team, we probably have every model you could ever want and in triplicate so it's a lot of borrowing stuff we have a group you know on facebook where we're just like hey we're going to this event can i borrow these models and just borrow stuff off people half the time well we saw that with uh, matt robertson going to nova as well right you see you borrowed basically um that army off of, of gads is that correct yeah same as etc as well because my health rates got defuncted uh i turned around and went right cool i need an army for this and i end up borrowing 80% of an army off Gaz Donnelly for that event. <coughs> yeah. I mean, with that, like, the store, the store ourselves, like, we own almost, every, we have, like, seven armies here at the store that the store owns. And then we have guys on the team and in the community chip in to paint models. So, like, our, our team demon army is entirely painted by, everyone on the team took a demon print to paint it. And then we have, you know, all these armies are just available for anyone that, on the team and guys at the store just borrow for events. And for me, that's, I mean, I think, that's one of the most, um, you know, the, the, the greatest thing that I've seen, because I'm, I'm very new to the competitive scene, but that's one of the coolest things that I've seen in general um, from getting into the hobby and, and finding out about the, the competitive aspect of it is how people are coming together generally and, and making things work any way they can, be it you know, to cover the cost of models, guys, you know, sort of lending models out, coming together and making the rules work, for example, and, and the FAQs and making tournament run. And, and guys are doing this entirely off their own backs, not being paid or, or subsidized by Games Workshop. And for me, that's that's one of the coolest things to to see, like, everyone chipping in and, and, and helping each other out and, and making this community what it is. Because if it wasn't for people putting their time and their money and their effort into this, there would be no independent competitive scene, pretty much. Uh, there'd barely be a game at that point. I mean, because you figure that, you know, sure, people play fun locally and stuff like that, but the competitive scene is what drives, especially, I mean, at least here you know, in the U.S., <laughs> the competitive scene, even just people wanting to be competitive within their own local, like, RTTs and their, their local maybe four or five-store community, it, the communities and the people putting the work in are really what keeps the game alive in any sense, so... But yeah, I mean, like you said, like, you know, you've got a community of guys. I mean, I, we bar you can borrow models off people, especially, you know, as as Matt Robertson's learned about the, the endless chat, Facebook chat. Like, you know, you'll have guys who come from multiple states away and they'll just show up at an event and somebody will have brought them an army. Um, I mean, I think it was Nova last year. I brought down my army at 1850 and had an additional 12,000 points of models that I was lending to people. Jesus Christ. Just, it, in, in my car, I brought 12,000 additional points. So, I was known, along with Justin, for playing Star. I did not own a single model out of the Army. And I went to every major GT in the country, like, from the Mississippi East, and competed in all of them. Multiple, and mind you, I'm competing in them with multiple guys from our team playing the exact same Army. And, I, like I said, never owned a single model for that Army. Like, there's just, I just never had a problem with our groups or just asking people in the competitive scene, hey, can I borrow three Riptides? At Nova, as we talk about, talk about later in the episode, I actually got my army together five minutes before the GT and didn't own a single model in it. 
Well, that is definitely <laughs> five a, minutes before. That is definitely a good uh, a good uh, reason for you guys listening to get involved with your local communities and make friends and just get involved with the scene and you know talk to people. It definitely definitely helps you try out new things and 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 you know possibly take new lists without having to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds and dollars just to get that together because obviously that's not really viable. One thing I would add to that is a lot of people come to the scene and see they might have heard about players or know of players from podcasts or watching the scene from afar. But what I found like a couple of years ago when I got into the scene is there's no <coughs> group of, oh, yeah, we're too good for you guys. Everyone's just really nice, really friendly. Everyone makes friends so easily. Yeah, and well, there's one and, or two we can mention. Yeah, there, there's and there's a couple groups like that here in the states, but for the most part, like most of the groups, like we don't have a you know you don't have a problem. And even guys that are on like quote unquote like rival teams, you know, I'm using air quotes because there's really no team dynamic set up here. We're trying to do it with team stomping grounds uh, here in the states, and even still, like guys from quote unquote rival teams will be like, hey, can I borrow this for a list? And I'm like, sure doesn't matter if you're gonna if i'm gonna smash your face in with the list you're gonna smash my face in it doesn't matter like at the end of the day we're all gonna go grab a beer or something like that and hang out there's not much room for egos when you're a man in your late 20s or early 30s and you're playing with toy soldiers is there really to be fair um correct and when you meet those guys with the egos and trust me there's a lot of them at our at our tournament uh they usually fill up the middle brackets (laughs) but um (laughs) when when you meet those guys it's kind of like Hey, dude, cool for you. You're super awesome. Let's play our game. Oh, you lost. I'm sorry. Would you like to go get a beer now? Yeah, everyone is really cool. You make loads of cool friends like Jesse and Matt, for example. They wouldn't be part of this podcast if we hadn't gone to Nova and just gone for a beer. Exactly. So if you You guys... You came out for a beer and one thing led to another, you puked purple. Yeah. We'll what get into we'll get into, we'll get into all of those uh, those lovely stories uh, in about ten minutes when we get into our Nova review. Um, I really want to use this as a resource as well to get people involved. So one of the things that I noticed from many podcasts previously is it wasn't that we weren't really directing people um, to the right places where they could find out exactly what was going on. I found it quite difficult to um, keep track of you know what tournaments were happening as well. So. Um, Matt and the guys, where would you recommend, sorry, Matt Robinson and the guys, where would you recommend people look to just keep up to date with what tournaments are on in the UK, you know, in their area, what's coming up, how to get tickets and all that sort of stuff? I would go straight to the Warhammer Forum, which is, I think, the warhammerforum.org. I'll just double check that. It's just warhammer.org.uk yeah, at the moment. Warhammer.org.uk, yeah. And if you go halfway down on there, there's a 40k section. Within there is 40k events. <coughs> and I think all <coughs> of the big events and a lot of small events are on there. I can't think of any that don't get posted on there. And they all generally have like Facebook event pages as well for people that are like active on Facebook so you can keep track with uh, what's going on there as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah all those like Kelly do and, and GT does. So I think you'll find that's that's that is the best way I think of keeping people up to date with rules and changes. And medium of sort of social media you like. Like me personally, I prefer the forums because it's all in one place. Um, whereas obviously different people like uh, Facebook. Lots of times do Twitter now as well. 
um, to keep you updated with what's going on during the tournament. Um, I know Tim King, especially one of the tournament organizers over here, is very, very good at his social media, um, keeping all his stuff in as he goes. So um, I, I would go primarily to TWF, though. Well, we'll definitely, as soon, as soon as we decide a name, we will definitely have a Facebook group. It will definitely be uh, updated um, with links to all of the stuff that we talk about in um, our podcast. And, of course, throwing back to links for uh, other things as well, like the Stomping Ground guys, um, YouTube broadcasts and Twitch streams, as well as all the, all the forthcoming events that we talk about on here as well. Yeah, and I mean, for us over here in the States, it's it's kind of easy for us because you can fucking tour on a fire.com. has a lot of events on it where you can just go to our Facebook page for Team SG Videos. It's facebook.com forward slash Team SG Videos. And we tell everybody what major events we're going to. And we'll, we'll hook up with anybody and try to help them out and get ready for it. So, Wicked stuff. So there you go. That is, uh, that is who we are. That's what we've been doing. That's what we're about. Um, let's get into... Uh, this Nova review. America, America. America, fuck yeah. So we are going to talk um, about Nova, which is pretty much one of the biggest tournaments on the face of the planet. It's definitely one of the highlights of the American competitive calendar. Um, and we're very fortunate that uh, four of our cast members are actually there. Um, so we're going to be talking to um, Matt Robertson, James Ramsey, and we're also joined by the magic of transatlantic internet connections um, with uh, Jesse and Matt from Team Stomping Grounds. Hello, guys. America! Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so... If people have been like familiar with the competitive scene, I'm sure they'll hear Nova mentioned either directly or indirectly because obviously the rules pack and that influences a lot of uh, competitive play. But Jesse and Matt, can you give us like an overview of the scale of Nova for people that haven't got a clue? Uh, Nova is it's just that it's a very it's not quite adepticon scale yet for convention purposes but it's a 256 player event they have um several several other tournaments that go on simultaneously including like trios uh, a narrative tournament uh, x-wing vendors it's you know it's it's literally second to not second to one in um the u.s for for events adepticon's the only thing that actually dwarfs it as far as it um, and there's multiple events within uh, each game system as well, right? Yeah, so for instance, in Warhammer 40,000, they have um, a trios tournament, uh, which myself and Matt Serino played in this year, and our team won Best General. Uh, then they have a narrative tournament, which is all you know theme and story-driven, and they, they progress a storyline every year. They have a Warhammer 40,000 GT and then they have um, a Warhammer 40,000 Invitational, which only invites like 32 players, and you play for cash prizes. Ah, okay. So um, that's kind of like the the marquee event, almost the Invitational. Would you say? Um, yes and no. I mean, that was always kind of the idea. Like it's thousand dollars to best overall, thousand dollars to best general the big thing is because both events like it's thursday and then sunday is the invitational 
um, a lot of the big guys who got invites didn't go. And I know like he was struggling to fill his uh, invitational because a lot of people also just didn't want to play both events because it was so time can, you know, constricting. Yeah, and really we def- kind of definitely want to talk about that because like in the UK, we don't really have that sort of um, scale um, of, of games and, and, and commitment. So really want to talk about like what it's like having to play that, that much consist- um, consecutively. Um, so also we've got um, James Ramsey and Matt Robertson who flew out from the UK to take part. What what was it that made you want to head out to Nova, guys? I blame James because we actually planned and went two weeks before the event. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it so. was kind of like, I think it was just like, oh, like ETC finished and then... I was kind of just thinking. Um, what was, I don't know what we were thinking. I think I was just trying to decide because they had a, they had a spot open on one of the ETC teams. One of the one of the teams needed a, a ringer, and I just couldn't go. It was just too short notice. And I thought, if I'm going to spend all this money, to go to ETC last minute. I'd rather go to Nova. And I thought, you know what? That's actually a really good idea. It's actually quite possible because. Uh, Mike Brandt, the guy who runs it, he's got a really good deal with the hotel where it's hosted, and uh, the room rates are really, really good. Really where, whereabouts is Nova held? It's in Washington D.C. or just outside. Okay. Is it Arlington? Yeah, it's Arlington D.C. It's about. I mean, literally, it's a stone throw from like the capital. Yeah, so we just flew, and we just kind of thought, well, we'll go we'll fly over there. It wasn't too expensive. Um, so, and it just worked out really well. Um, so you guys entered both the Open and the Invitational, is that correct? Yeah, and it was yeah. the most tiring weekend of gaming <laughs> I've ever done. <laughs> so how many yeah, games, was, How many games, um, Matt Robertson, how many games did you play? Um, because I know you got, you got to the final of the Invitational. Yes. Yeah. You did you play your last game in the open? I don't think you did. Uh, I dropped the eighth game in the open. The eighth game. Good basically, you, we got there the first night. Yeah. It was around th- th- four, half four, when we got to the hotel, checked in all our stuff. Thought, right, let's go see the sites. Went to see the Washington Monument, Lincoln Monument, the White House, all that kind of thing. And let me just tell you, it was like thirty-five degrees, like eighty percent humidity, and we're from. I'm from the Isle of Man, which is like the coldest place ever. So it was really hot. I like have you seen the place. sun? Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't actually seen the sun. Well, wait a minute, 35 degrees. That's like almost freezing, guys. No, no, that's we're talking about in real money, not Fahrenheit, <laughs> that made up scale that you use. Don't, don't worry. Matt actually, I believe, at one point asked me what our room temperature was. So I, I figured it out. We, we kept our room at 15 degrees. We, we like it nice and cold. So, yeah. We went out sweating our balls off on that first night. And it gets about nine o'clock. I'm like, right, should go back to the hotel now. But Jesse wants to go for a drink. So I'll go for a drink. Half 12, I think it was, we got back to the hotel. So that was a 25-hour day. Then we had to be up at first game was nine in the morning for the Invitational. And that day so that we played four games. Wednesday night? Yeah, that was Wednesday night. Oh. So the Thursday, we had four games. But if you'd, as soon as people lost, they were dropping out, really. But because I won three games, I was still playing game four, which mm. finished at around midnight. 
Now, the Invitational's um, five games. Yes. And it's pretty much a one game and you got, you're out sort of situation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, both the events we did at Nova were more, were a, they're all win-loss. Whereas yeah. with the Invitational, there's no... It's once you lose, you're out and running for the prize. Mm. Whereas the Open, you could lose a game, but then still you get put in brackets of 16 after mm. the first four games. Okay. And then you can go on and win your bracket for a prize. So if you lose one of the earlier games, you can still theoretically win the whole thing in the Open, but in the Invitational, it's... Uh, Not so much in the Open, because in the Open, say if you lost your first game, there'd be a chance of making the top 16 and winning the whole thing. Yeah. Otherwise, people on the same win record. So you say you get two wins, two losses. Mm. After the first four games, you'll be put into a group of 16 people. A bracket of people people. that are on similar sort of level. Yeah, Yeah. they're all the same wins and loss. And then those 16 play knockout within that group to win that bracket of 16 um so do you want to tell us what you guys took with you um I, let's start off with <laughs> let's start off with robo go on i was nice and easy and i took gas jones's cha- uh, champion of the known universe eldar a dark eldar list with a slight tweak with a slight twist yeah for the invitational i had Eldrad, five spirit says, one with a shard of an Aris, five jet bike units, a beast pack, a nine man say council, and two Vols Wrath. And then like five Dark Elder Warriors in the Baron. And okay. then for the open, I tweaked it by dropping a Vols Wrath and adding in three racks, which meant I could start the game with a pain token on the board and then just jump a character out of that unit into the beast pack. To give them a pain token and feel no pain from Which the first turn of the game. now confers to the whole of the unit, right? Because they haven't FAQ'd that away. In most events in the UK, I know it will be getting FAQ'd to say, no, it doesn't confer. But at this particular event, it did confer. Which, which is kind of funny because we actually yeah. asked that question leading up to it, and we had a guy not bring it, bring the beast pack because <laughs> up until I met Matt at Nova, it didn't confer. Well, put it this way: um, the guy who's talking about is Rob Fortin, was one of our players. We he started asking two months out, and actually, as of four days before the event, Rob was still told it was not allowed, and then at the event. It was obviously changed. Wow. So there were actually, there's actually, um, I counted about half a dozen of those scenarios where things were told beforehand were going to be ruled one way and then day of the event were ruled an entirely different way. So did they not release like an official FAQ? They, they, well, they, so they released an FAQ and a mission packet in the three months leading up to Nova. That FAQ and mission packet changed, a, a, well, the mission packet changed 13 times. The FAQ just <laughs> kind of, the problem with the FAQ is it didn't change a bunch, but there's the, uh, you know, the, the, obviously the endless chat, you know, Matt, you're a part of that. Um, most questions get asked in there, and Mike gives a ruling. And says this is what's going to be, but he doesn't confer with the head judge Mike Somerville, because that was a big problem they had that came up uh, with like Justin's list, for example. He was told his list was going to be legal, how it was built. Showed up for the day of the open and was told the day before the open and was told, no, you can't play that. It's not legal. That sounds like a big problem if you're someone that's put a lot of time and money into um, traveling there, let alone yeah. building an army. Yeah, it was a, it was a problem. And I mean, that's probably the only one downside. I mean, I, I emailed quite a few questions because obviously coming from the UK, you want to make sure 
what you're bringing is legal or what you're planning is legal. And, you know, at the end, I understand that they were busy, but I got my response literally was just turn up and ask me the questions. And I'm like, well, I'm coming three and a half thousand miles. Oh, I can't use this. Let me just turn around and uh, bring something else. You just pop back. Yeah, and exactly. Get that. You can't, that yeah. Mean. And so it was like, it was, it was, that was one, possibly the only downside. And the fact that the ruling changed, like for, for Matt, meant that literally the night before, the night, as soon as he finished the invitation at mid, midnight, we were like, yeah, we're going to put racks in. You, know, rack, you just have to put racks in for the open because it's just a no-brainer. It made it just, it's like, oh no, I lose one small blast and again feel no pain on my beast pack. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, there's a whole bunch of, like you know, per, another one that was a weird thing. So Mysterious Objectives have been in every version of the mission packet. Day of the tournament, the Mysterious Objectives aren't in there. And, our, you know, the one of the guys on the team, Matt DeFranza, asked, oh, you know, why aren't Mysterious Objectives in here? He goes, oh, our intern must have forgot to put it in. But, like, the in, the mission packet that was posted online had them in there. So it was interesting. That seems really difficult to keep track of. Um, so anyway, let's, um, let's, let's carry on with um, what we took. Um, so, Chucky, what did you take? with you uh, okay well i i decided i wanted to use demons but it was still even on the plane there i hadn't really decided what i was going to run i was going to run originally a screaming star so what i planned to take the invite invitational was fate weaver um four heralds of zen from discs with the usual grimoire portalith and the locus of extra strength from the shooting and then i took um and i made basically i took demons all over demons so they were my the heralds were my ally choice uh, because in this in Nova you were allowed to self ally, which is again is, we don't let that in UK, but it was just one of the things they let in at Nova. And so then I basically took um, a unit of Nurglings in my allies, a, unit, a couple of horror units in my main, and then I took uh, I can't remember the exact combination, but it was four units of Screamers. I think it was like thirty in total Screamers. Good God! I think, I think it was a unit of nine and then three units of seven, something like that. Yeah. Um, that was the invite list. And then, basically, uh, well, I don't want to ruin the Invitational, but I, I decided, when I got down to, after playing the Invitational, after seeing all the stuff and the terrain and everything, I changed my list literally last minute at the Open. Like, on the morning of the Open, I went upstairs and wrote a new list at about 8, 8.50, and the, the check-in time, the game started at 9.30, so I absolutely I had to write really fast. And I decided to take Fly Monster Creatures, and I took Fate Weaver... Um, Keeper of Secrets. I took a couple of units of horrors again, a couple of demons of San- uh, demon prince of Sanesh, and then I allied demons myself again, and I took Bellacor and some Nerglings. So two kind of different lists, but yeah. Demons. Mm. But the main reason we had to use demons is because Matt had brought an absolute metric crap ton of demons to summon. We brought. I don't know how many demons we bought to summon, but Matt filled like his half his case with demons. With my army, I could have fit it into one cardboard KR case. Instead, I had a cardboard KR case and a double GW case. Two thirds full of demons. I don't don't know how many. I I ended up sorting it all out, and I brought so many demons. Uh, I think I brought. I think we brought like nine. Not, not, not so many cavalry, but more like lots of... How many summon. points of summon demons did you have at your disposal? Just to give people an idea that might want to try and run that. Well, list. I think we had four or five Lord of Changes spare. <laughs> yeah, four Lord of Changes. Two Great uh, Clean ones. 
I bought 12 crushes. Um, we had 30 six odds. Crushes. I think we had 38 screamers between us. Yeah. Um, and then loads, like 60, 70 horrors, 40 demonettes, 20 or 30 um, plague bearers, and then like lots of individual like metal models to use as heralds. Mm. Um, we, we, you know, there's other things you could have brought, but you know, you're limited by space. You can't, you can't bring absolutely everything. Then maybe the 5,000 points or that. Not, not as much as some of the guys on TTC, I think, but uh, you know, enough to bring sort of. Three and a half thousand miles. Just to just to give people, I just wanted to give people an insight into what you actually need to, to take with you if you want to run that. And that to be honest, that was that wasn't enough. I mean, I mm. if, if I was playing the Screamer Army again, um, that wouldn't be enough to play for the Summoning Army. You you need more than that, especially that the cavalry stuff. You need. Uh, I know one guy I heard uh, in ETC summoned twenty seven plague drones in one game. So I mean, that's kind of models. You know, if you want to play it properly, that's the kind of you know, models you need. Certainly uh, helping in Game Workshop uh, revenue stream. Yeah. I can see why it's in the game. Um, so, American compatriots. Uh, Jesse, tell us through uh, your your unique list that you ran. So, what ended up happening, I went down there with the Scent Star list. Um, we ended up playing in the trios, me and Matt, and I'll let Matt talk about the trios because that was the event he uh, he participated in. So you didn't in. take 45 Primaris Psychers summoning demons? And... We did not do that for trios, no. Uh, we, we took something that was a little saucier, in my opinion, um, and it, uh, it, it, definitely, it definitely worked out to win us best general. Um, but in the open, I went down there with the Scent Star. I was a little leery on... I was real confident in the sensor, but seeing the terrain and just how big the footprints were, I was a little leery on how it would perform it had I not had gate. And mathematically, I wouldn't have gate every, you know, in all eight games. So, uh, last. So there was no, um, no Forge World allowed then? Just there was only. Forge World was only allowed in, like, the Trios event and okay. narrative, not okay. in the GTs. So no access to Severin. Cool. No, no access to Severin. Otherwise, I would totally have Severin Loth in there, and I would always no gate. Okay, it's uh, okay. I'm sorry. So what it ended up coming down to was uh, we were looking at we were looking at it, and um, Justin Cook's list was ruled invalid. Uh, and what was well, that? So Justin was originally running um, like. Basically a new Ovesta star, but it was with broadsides. It was nowhere near as good as the old Ovesta star was. But he was like, heck with it. You know, I'm going to give Ovesta, you know, a run. And he was going to put Ovesta with some commander, with like a commander of Farsight, all in a unit of broadsides. And originally we were told, you know, yeah, it, it'll work. It's just a matter of the order in which you join the characters and everything. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. he was told, you can't do that at all. It's, it's illegal. And he was like, well, now I have a 305-point useless model, basically. So... He decided last minute to change it, and he changed it to what I think we are dubbing Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Uh, and he told us the list before we went to dinner Wednesday night, and it was basically going to be Tal Riptides, basically Riptides with the Adamantium Lance Formation. And at lunch, me, Matt Serino, Neil, and uh, a few other guys that were at, at the dinner table at Buffalo Wild Wings, we, we ironed out the list and we kind of tweaked it a, a bunch. And it ended up being an ethereal with a warlord, uh, a three-man crisis suit unit with bonding knives naked, two single crisis suits with bonding knives naked, um, three riptides, one with ion accelerator fusion and uh, early warning override, 
and then two with heavy burst cannons, uh, SMS, advanced targeting system, and early warning override. Uh, then one night paladin, two night errands. So you ended up having twelve models in the army, and it. Uh, and that is that out of the Farsight book. That is out of the Farsight so, book. So yeah, one of them's got the one of the burst tides has got the Earthcast. I'm guessing. We do not have the Earthcast now. Oh, we okay. just didn't. Ha- we didn't have the points for it. Um, and what it ended up coming down to was uh, less than five minutes before pairings went out, I somehow managed to stumble across three Imperial Knights, and I audibled the list from Sendstar to this with less than five minutes before round one pairings go out. Like, I was yelled at by Mike Brandt because I changed my army list. So, um, and that's what I ended up running. It was it was great. I played all of my games in, like, sub-40 minutes, no matter how many turns they really were, because I had 12 models. And I was like, it just didn't take long at all. Hmm. I know this was quite a contentious... I know afterwards, this has been a bit of a contentious point of Nova. Um, the list submission? Say, well, yeah, because obviously a lot of events, they like to pre-submit lists or like check them and things. And that's, I know at Nova, the scale of the event means you just can't. You can't check so many lists. You can't <laughs> check 200 lists before an event. And... Uh, a lot of guys, obviously, in America is a massive country. You can't expect guys to fly over from like the West Coast, bring a list, play in the Invitational, find out it doesn't work, and then make them play. You know, three more days with the same list doesn't work. So they had, you know, they had to let people um, change lists. But it, I do agree. Sometimes it's a bit. It was a big advantage to go down there, the Invitational, um, see the terrain, see what was around, and then you know basically spend the night planning all right i've seen the terrain i can now do this for the guys who are who are local i'm sure they see the train all the time or they can uh they kind of they used to play it nova but if you're if it's the first time at nova and you just turned up to the open and you had no idea what it was like um you were you know it was a big a big advantage at least that's just my opinion i don't know if it's shared by other people James, it was actually kind of surprising for myself and I think Sereno as well. We've been going to the Nova for like three years now, and the terrain was much larger footprints uh, and everything that they've they've ever had in the past. I mean, I was I myself was surprised with how big the terrain was. Even testing at our store, we have our terrain at the store because our first Philadelphia was a Nova style event. We had all of our terrain designed to match the Nova format. And when the, all the footprints of every piece of terrain was was so much larger to the point where they actually broke their own terrain rules. So Nova's terrain rules are, you know, the way that the, the format's supposed to be designed is you have a line of sight blocker. They added <coughs> two giant line of sight blockers in the middle, two ruins, two hills in, in adjacent quarters, and then two area terrain pieces. But they're supposed to be a big enough gap to drive a land raider all the way through all those pieces of terrain without hitting terrain. And on a lot of the tables, that was just physically impossible because the terrain's footprints were just too big. So I myself, I was surprised by by the terrain. Like going down there, you know, in the first time out of like three plus years, like I was really confident in the scent star going in. And then I saw that terrain and I was like, some of these pieces of terrain, I just, I will never be able to move, you know, the centurions. And it was it was really the, the sole reason I audibled off of them. So that's exact, exactly what he was saying after your first day of playing on that terrain and actually understanding what uh-huh. it was that you're working with, you realized the list that I had flown in with is just not going to work for me. So. Exactly. And even for yeah. guys, like, you know, we're, we're fairly local to them. I mean, it's a two-hour car ride down two and a half hours or so. I think Matt made it down there in like two hours. I, I forget he was the, the driver and I was just a passenger. 
But, I mean, even for us, where it's fairly local for us to drive down, I was still surprised at seeing it, you know, and and just how large the footprints were. Yeah, I think that I can't overstate how important that terrain was. If you played in the UK, there's nothing, I've never seen anything like the line of sight blockers. Uh, they were, you know, you could heart, you could cover three quarters of a race night with some of those line of sight blockers. And, you know, a race night is ridiculously tall. So- I had. I could hide a whole, my, all my whole army behind one line of sight block. And they were on pretty Those... enormous bases as well, right? So the, yeah. the actual area terrain was enormous as well. So I was, I was watching yeah. on, the, on the Twitch. So if you guys are listening um, have no idea what we're talking about, I think you could probably go on the archive on Twitch and um, at least see some of the games on the top table, get an idea of what the layouts were like because um, it was quite standardized, right? Yeah, the terrain was standardized. There was an altern- alternate terrain setup that they actually didn't use at all. And they have, they've had it in every single packet. And I've never been to a Nova that has used the alternate terrain setup. There are other tournaments, like the other ones have. But um, yeah. I've never seen one at, at Nova itself. But, I, I mean, mean it, was, it was crazy. I mean, that's always been nuts, too. Like, they, they put in their packet, oh, we're going to use this these two different types of terrain setups. And the, the the second one is a little bit more normal. Like the, So the alternate terrain setup is, it pretty much makes a killing field. It's open in the middle, and there are just large pieces of terrain around the outside of the table. So And they use that normally in missions where there's stuff that's important for the middle, so it kind of makes you play a little bit in the open. And they just never use a, a mission, like a, a thing or a, a terrain setup they say is going to be used. They just choose not to use it ever. They're just yeah, trying to fake you all out. <laughs> and those middle line of sight blockers were so big, I, I I shit you not, I was able to hide Imperial Knights and just be completely out of line of sight. And it was so funny, though, because they're still not quite big enough for Wraith Knights. I can hide an Imperial Knight, not be in line of sight to like anything in an army, and still see a Wraith Knight. Still well, that, shoot it. Uh, that's obviously got to be pretty, um, pretty handy for beast pack as well. Being able to yeah. like hide an entire beast pack, not care about that tr- the area terrain as well. Um, yeah, I think if people saw the train that was on the live feed, yeah, the two main pieces of train in the middle were pretty much ten inch or s- square by about eight inches high, just solid piece. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of the time, I know I was on there for three or four games. It was just so a lot of people couldn't see what was going on on the board from the camera angle because they just blocked from where the camera was about a third to forty percent of the board. Oh, the side on the side on view. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't see anything at all. So I know we. I played one game where we just took all the train off the board pretty much, and Chip, who was running Torrent of Fire and doing the live feed, was just like, "Cheers, guys! Everyone can see what's going on now." So if you do want to um, catch. Um, any of those replays because they're, they're quite interesting to watch regardless uh, but just to see the terrain that we're talking about you can actually watch the archives uh, on twitch.tv forward slash torrent of fire who are broadcasting that um, that's something pretty cool as well that we don't really do in the UK that I'd like to see uh, more of the live streaming aspect of the, the, the tournaments because it's, it's pretty interesting and insightful you know, especially if you can't make it yourself yeah I know Chip does a lot of he's trying to get the Torrent of Fire brand and all the videos and streams he does off because uh, that is it's a really good a- application he's got and a really good setup especially and, now that um, Rankings HQ's gone as well so it's really uh... but yeah and then we were finding a lot of time with being able to use Torrent of Fire which people don't know is an alternative pairing system where you can input results off your phone see the games see the pairings by your phone 
or see who you're playing, what they're using, who they've played against. So you know, there was times we were just sat downstairs in the lobby having some food or chatting. It's like, oh, parents are up. Let's have a look at my phone. Cool, I'm on table four. I'm playing this person. Oh, so you Ooh, could actually, you, rather than having to all go to the front and look on a board, you could actually just check it on your phone, know exactly where you were meant to be, who you were playing against. Yeah, you get live updates. Whenever any results are put in, they automatically update on, oh, that's the, brilliant. on the web, so it's on your phone as well. That's really useful. And is there yeah. an, there's an app for that, right? Is that correct? No, it's, it, well, it's one of those web apps. Like you pretty oh, much okay. just access like Safari or whatever on your, you know, your internet browser, and mm. it's on there. I will say the only thing that's like Tour of Fire is fantastic. The only thing that's annoying about the the rankings and stuff is that they include like local tournaments. So like I went to a tournament yesterday that had sixteen people, and those results are entered <laughs> in the Tour of Fire. So they like so when you look at somebody's like ranking, it's not just their their GT events; it's their local ones, I mean, and it they, scales they, a little bit they, differently. Did they, did they tier it? I was just going to ask, did they tier the events? And um, I think it, it is, but not... To, it's to the point where winning, like, five or six local events is... Oh, it isn't quite on par, but it's getting up there to, like, top finishes at a GT. That's the only problem. Like, you see a lot of these. Like, they, they what they really need to do, and I, I like it for little events. It's kind of cool. It's like, oh, we'll make, you know... We'll make it so, you know, you can figure out who's the best local player, quote-unquote. I wish they just had them separate. I wish you could just, when you sort rankings and stuff like that, you could sort it out by grand tournaments and RTTs. Also, like a filter system. Okay, all right. Um, let's finish the list round. <laughs> we got a little bit sidetracked. So Would we're... you like to go over the trios list? Did you play? Fine. So, all right, so the trios work is your three players in a team. Each player brings a 1,000-point list and a 2,000-point list. And then, like, in round one, one player plays by themselves with their 2,000-point. The other two teammates played together with their combined 1,000-point list. And you just make sure everyone plays by themselves. So all three of us brought the same list. It was myself. Jesse and um, Neil Gilstrap, who's the host of the 11th Company podcast. So our 2,000-point list was a fully decked out Transcendent Catan, um, four level three heralds on foot, and five level three heralds on disc. And all we did was summon a bunch of models and let the Transcendent Catan just kill everything in sight. Um, I think, I know in my first game, I quite literally tabled my opponent with the Transcendent Catan being the only thing to kill a model. Um, Same with Neil. Same with myself. And every game, they everybody was focused on our summoning because we had over ten thousand points worth of demons, and we were just summoning random things. And we're like, "Oh, look at this summoning like smoke and mirrors. Got to kill all these heralds." Transcendent Satan does all the work. Yeah. So I'm presuming that was entirely unbound, and yep. yeah, anything goes, and it sounds like a complete utter. <laughs> yeah. Then, yes. The thing was that went on at the same time as the Invitational, so you had two options: you could either play, you know, this kind of more serious "quote unquote" 40k, or you could just. A lot of guys had just had a laugh with the trios, just like drinking beers, just you know, using stupid armors, which normally you never get a chance to use. Those that rule set, that unbound, anything goes rule set. So I, I quite like that. I think next, if I ever went again, I would I would play the trios rather than the Invitational. Well, I definitely I heard. Um... Obviously, you listened to 11th Company. I did hear you guys sort of make your decision on, screw this, we're going to play trios and just uh, have fun. So it's, it's cool so, that you've got uh, the option there as well. 
exactly. All three of us uh, basically gave up um, invitational slots to play in the trios. We'd ra- we, you know, we would have rather done that. I'm really close friends with uh, James Watkins. Uh, he's my arch nemesis when it comes to 40k. I just can't beat him no matter, no matter what I do. I just, I always seem to, to choke against him in the GT game. Uh, he's a he's a load of fun, and he was one. Of, he's like the head judge for trios, but he was walking around with a with a cooler and a beer, and he was just doing beer runs for everybody, and just giving everybody <laughs> beer, and just you know have a blast, guys. So we all gave up the invitational to play in it, and it was uh it was loads of fun. I would I would play in a trios every year over the invitational. Actually, I would play in a trios every year over the invitational and the GT after this last year. Yeah. Yeah, if they if if I had to choose between them, I would pick trios over you. Sweet, sweet. Um, so let's go through the Invitational. Um, if we can just have a quick sort of rundown on day one of the Invitational from everybody that was involved. Uh, well, I was not involved in the Invitational. However, I was keeping up. We had a couple guys from the team in the Invitational. Uh, I know Justin was playing. Um, was playing. Uh, Necrons with Doom Sights because he was expecting to see scent stars, and uh, they they are, were allowing Doom Sights to just hit the scents even if they were invisible and everything. So uh, although they wouldn't let them hit flyers, which I, I don't know I don't know why they there was a so, disconnect there. Yeah. Hmm. But um, so I mean Justin was playing that he I think I, I think he went two and one before dropping in the. Uh, in the Invitational, and we had a guy, TJ Myers, um, from our team who won our, who won one of the local GTs to us, the Delaware Open, and um, he ended up going two and two and dropping in the Invitational with uh, MSU Tau, backed mm. up by a fire support cadre. Okay, and um, that's something that's that's quite important as well because we see big differences between Europe and America, and even different coasts about what. Um, army composition is allowed and how you're putting stuff together, whether you're allowed to self-ally, whether you can double CADs, all that sort of stuff. So um, what were they using at uh, Nova? Was it the same for the Invitational and the Open? It was the same list construction, and it's the same list construction through, I think, all of the major GTs here in the U.S. now. Um, I, I know the West at Coast least, well, is settled. It, I don't... You know, after having talked to a couple of people this week, uh, that weekend, I don't know if it's actually a settling thing. I think it was, it seemed like the most tame way to do it with the new addition coming so quickly. And a lot of the TOs didn't want to take that step to kind of be the outlier. But I've heard a lot of people already say that they don't like, like that they think double cat is fine. And, and even some TOs say they think double cat is a, is a thing. So it's definitely how the US format's working right now. I don't, wouldn't be surprised if it changes. Wouldn't be surprised if everyone wants just to follow the herd and just keep it the way it is in the U.S. So, but yeah, Jesse, you can continue with explaining what it actually is. So, so right now they're doing a, a single combined arms attachment. Uh, if your combined arms deta- if you take a combined arms detachment, it has to be your primary detachment. Mm-hmm. Um, so your warlord has to obviously come out of it, and then they are allowing you to either self-ally, take a formation, uh, things like that to fill out your second detachment. Uh, and then data slates like Bellacore and things like that, they just, they, Bellacore, um, uh, uh, the Cypher, they just fall into whatever army you take them as, not as a separate, as a separate, uh, detachment. So, you know, Bellacore takes an HQ slot if you're playing Demons or, or Chaos Space Marines. And that's just basically how the East Coast and West Coast have ruled it. The big difference being the West Coast allows a uh, limited Forge World, whereas the East Coast does not. 
Uh, and how many detachments were you allowed? Two detachments. Maximum of two. Okay. Yeah. So you you were allowed you were allowed a two source. They call it the two source format, and it was a single combined arms and either an allied detachment or a fort, uh, a formation. But well, you have to have a primary detachment in there. That was one of the restrictions. Yes, you have to have a primary detachment, but that primary detachment does not have to be a combined arms detachment. So you could have a primary Inquisition detachment or a primary Imperial Knight detachment, things like that. Primary Legion and Damned if you wanted. Or any of the supplemental ones like the Champions of Fenris or Orc Horde and all that sort of stuff. Well, yes. The Champions of Fenris was unfortunately not allowed if that's from the supplement because they allowed the new and old Space Wolf Codex. They did not allow the supplement, which I don't okay. understand why. They actually, because if, Jesse, they actually did let it in because I asked... Uh, I asked Mike literally the, like the two days before we flew, and he said, "If you want to use Champions of Fenris, just bring it. As long as you've got the well, well that, that's they actually a... told one of our guys that were down there yeah. he was, this was illegal because he had a Champions of Fenris list. Uh, oh well, I'm well. glad I didn't bring that then. So I'm adding that that's that's number seven then of the uh, literal two different explanations that people have heard. I'm making yeah. a list of <laughs> things that were done wrong. The big thing is, Mike is known to make exceptions for certain people and i'm sure it would have been legal for you because you flew from the uk and he would have made an exception however for other guys he would not make the same exception and it's just one of the things that's always been kind of a kind of a borderline thing with mike okay um so it's thursday morning um i'm presuming robo and chucky have got stinking hangovers um it's day... i was all right i'd, I'd had a i'd have... I had a good night's sleep. I didn't have too much to drink, but it was just that, the... Jesse, you failed in your mission then. And the no, no, I didn't. Getting up at 4am. <laughs> you didn't on that night. But the getting up at 4am, because that's what our body clocks were telling us was the right thing to do, after going to bed at midnight, wasn't the best. Uh, now, if anyone wants to follow any of the missions, they were very, very specific missions to Nova. Um, you can find them online on NovaOpen.com, and if you just follow the links to uh, Wyman 40,000 and scroll down a little bit, you will see um, the rules packet, which includes all the missions which were preset, um, and I think you can see um, terrain layouts on there as well, if you want to get yourself a little idea of what they were like. Um, how easy were they to follow? Because it's a pretty expansive uh, rules packet, pretty thorough. Having been to a lot of events and read a lot of rules packs before, I was able to pick up the missions to an extent where they were playable, even if I didn't fully understand them. Mm. Whereas I pretty much read them on the flight properly for the first time after <laughs> glanced at them previously. So I was really unprepared. Okay. But it didn't seem to uh, affect you that badly, as I'm sure we'll see. No, I think it's if you hadn't gone to many events, and this was cool, I'll go to an event, I'll go to Nova, that'd be my first event, like big event, outside of a rulebook mission, then you would struggle like crazy with these missions. They were okay for like the invitational setting, mm. where everybody knew what they were doing, everyone was used to they're all that. seasoned players. Yes, whereas newer tournament gamers, I think, would really have struggled. Yeah, the missions were... Um overly complicated to say the least uh, even even like like matt said even for seasoned players you go down there and uh i mean serena we got what 20 plus test games in with with these missions like throughout the various packets and even still going down there it wasn't really like 
you weren't really understanding every little nuance of the mission, even even playing a ton of the games. Well, you know what, though? I, I almost think what Matt did was probably a better thing. So part of the problem is we got near the end where when you when you seen literally a dozen versions of this mission packets of this mission packet, you start to miss out on what were actual changes. Like I know, like I was like, like I have here in the store alone seven different printed out versions of the mission packets. Like that's like, including what was changed like two days, like two days apart. There was a new change, and I remember thinking like, oh well, that, I thought it was played like this because that was in version six, and oh that was played like that in version nine, but this way in version four, and you know I almost wish. I told people to stop looking at the packet, wait until, like, a final one was out, and then do it. So, in a way, like, your preparation games didn't really help. Well, yes and no. They they help you in the mindset of, you know, so Nova does, um, it gives you five different secondaries, and you pick three. It gets you used to that. It gets Mm. you used to the general idea of it. But, like, like Jesse said, we probably played... Jesse, you know, I probably played myself at least like 25 games, even though I wasn't even playing in the open, just to help other guys test. And I think playing a few games to get comfortable with it was a great idea. I think playing that many games just kind of got you lost in which packet was which at that mm-hmm. point. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that sort of format and uh, how you were um, sorting out your missions? Because obviously I believe the primaries were set each round, so everyone's playing the same mission each round. Well, no, so there's actually two different primaries, oh, okay. um, and you and your opponent both secretly pick your primaries and your three secondaries, and then you reveal them, and then you play your primary, your opponent plays his primary. Because it was really difficult to follow, like, at home, because um, yeah. it wasn't really sort of announced on the stream and what have you, and it was really yeah. quite difficult to follow. So. Well, and the weirdest thing is, so then within the missions themselves, there are two kinds of missions. There are comparative missions and there are non-comparative missions. In the non-comparative missions, you play your primary, your opponent plays his primary, end of story. In the comparative ones, you play your primary, and then if your opponent picked the opposite one, you're playing both primaries at the same time. Because, like, for some of them, you know, you like you have to play your own mission plus your opponent's mission, and then it's you're comparing your scores after that. But simultaneously, if I'm playing my mission and you're playing your mission and I beat you on your mission, I can't actually, and we draw, say, draw on mine, I can't actually win the game in a comparative game by beating you on your primary. It simply counts as a null for you. Yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work. I'm trying to explain it, it doesn't work. You have to, you had to play it. That it was a that was why the invitation was really useful for me and Matt, I think, because we got a chance to see how these missions actually play, especially the second one, which was the whatever it was called, the Gamblers Investors. That was the one yes. where I think that was one where it was the most confusing because you had objectives everywhere and you were like, okay, so I've got like loads, of, and then they've got like two different, you've got one set of dice where they're counting up and counting down, and you've got one set of dice where they're worth this many points. And you're trying to think, right? I need to contest that one now, but I need to control it in the game. And so it was, it was confusing just to read it. But I find that once you played it once, it was like, okay, that make, this kind of makes sense now. Um, so that was, I don't know if Matt felt the same, but that was the main reason I went for the invitation. I think just to give us, give me a chance to kind of understand what was going on. Do you want to give that us mission a, a for quick... me? Yeah, go on, was sorry. perfect because the first time I played that and the second time actually, we both just agreed, should we play this one? because it's going to be a lot easier. <laughs> and I think the table next to me did that as well. So just went, right, should we play I did, standard? 
I did that in my second round game. My opponent was like, hey, I don't really understand how this works. I want to play investor. Do you mind playing the investor? And I was like, sure, why not? It's a lot easier than having to figure it out uh, and all that. And even though I knew how it worked, I mean, I went through. So I was because I was done so early. They asked me to help judge the open. And the second round, I had to help officiate eight different games and explain to people like, well, no, you actually lost because you weren't playing his gambler at all. And so you weren't kicking anything up. Whereas he was still playing scouring and he beat you on scouring. And then he has one point of gambler or stuff like that. And then people are like, are you kidding me? I lost because of this. And it's like, unfortunately that's, yeah, that's how the, that's how the packet works. Like if you didn't play both and you pick separate because one's better for you, you have to beat your opponent on yours and then draw them or beat them on theirs in order to win by primary. But what does that tell you? So like, yeah, you know, Matt, you, you know, you hit the nail that you're a seasoned tournament goer. What does it tell you when so far what I've heard from you is that you and your opponent just agreed to play the missions the way you wanted to and you guys removed terrain and moved stuff around because it was inconvenient. Like all but that was like the story of the weekend is people were just like either one, they just com- argued because they didn't understand it or two, they're just like, we're going to make up our own version because it makes more sense that way. And is that like, it just seems as a tournament, it's... It, when that's like the majority of the stories I've been hearing is people just saying, we're just going to change the, pretty much change the mission to what, to simplify. And you said you're an experienced tournament goer and you even decided just to change the mission to simplify it. I can definitely see how, you know, especially given the uh, amount of games that you're playing and the amount of concentrations that's going to take, you know, when you get, uh, get further in, that's going to be a big problem, even for a, even for an accomplished player to, keep track of everything that's going on especially with um you know the modified stuff that's in there as well um keeping track of which units um there's modified objectives and modified kill points as well in there so it definitely sounds like it's mentally taxing um definitely sounds sounds like it's pretty difficult to keep track of but i I suppose that's what makes it unique in itself i think one of the things with the missions was even though they were quite complex i think once you Got, I think it's something Mike Brandt said as well. Once you broke them down and got down to the base concepts, they really worked quite well to balance the game out a little bit. Mm. So you could have like a Serpent's Battle against a Beast Pack. The Beast Pack can't really be everywhere with the little jet bike squad controlling all the objectives throughout the game because you had to control at the beginning of your opponent, of your next turn. So the opponent had a turn to counter. So it actually did really well to balance armies against each other and just get into a table going oh you have that list this is the mission i can't beat you on this mission you win i mean i, I definitely appreciate the, the work that's think, been put in to get away from that um that turn five objective grab control the middle of the table yeah. with a death star sort of 40k which is kind of boring um, i think I they just needed the wording wise if they simplified it and explained it a little better it would have been would have worked great I know another thing is uh, having the five different secondaries and getting to choose is always nice. Like, I hate just getting shoehorned into First Blood, Linebreaker, Warlord because you get so many, like, obviously, especially because First Blood, only one person can achieve, can achieve it in a game. So it is kind of nice having, you know, so every mission had First Blood, Warlord, Linebreaker. Some had, like, Mark for Death. Some had Leave None Behind. And they had a bunch of different created secondaries that were nice because it it changes up the game a little bit in that aspect too 
Yeah, and it really allowed you to compete um, for secondaries uh, because you know some of these missions, some of these missions were fairly easy for you to be for you as a player to kind of be behind and draw out and go down the secondaries. So you really, the five secondaries you got to choose from really allowed you to kind of customize how you were going to play your game to try to, to try to, to meld the mission more around your play style or your army's play style versus, you know, top tier list or anything like that. So you were able to kind of meld it around your play style and really if you were in a bad matchup, play for a draw and then win on secondaries and secondaries that highly favored you. <clears throat> well, I've always, uh, as a spectator, I've always seen, um, you know, new list types appear and do well at Nova, whether that's because people are saving stuff for Nova specifically or because the rules packets allow people to be a lot more creative. You know, obviously we've never really seen um, Blob Guard before until Tony brought that. Um, a couple of years ago, and we'd never really seen a Vesa star anywhere in the world um, until that turned up. Um, and we weren't really seeing sort of Wave Serpent uh, Eldar like on top top tables um, in a lot of tournaments. Um, well, the way so that we one did. Of the, so one of the big things about like some of the lists are yes, a lot of them. Or at least speaking from a Vesta Star standpoint, because it was me and Justin that played it at yeah. Nova. Um, we actually we like we developed the list, but we yeah we <laughs> held that list for Nova, and it was kind of one of those things where we were testing and getting real familiar with, it, and we held it for that. But then yeah, it's the way that the format works. So the the format benefited Objective Secured a lot, which thus benefits MSU versus Death Star. So it kind of changes things up a bit from you know what people were used to seeing in sixth edition uh but it also benefited mobility a lot so that really helped uh wave serpents above and beyond because they had the mobility to dodge around some of these you know impressive line of sight blockers still put out withering amounts of firepower and then at the end of the day they're still objective secured so yeah it, because of the way that the packet is designed it allows certain other lists to kind of flourish you know, it was, it was James, you played a uh, flying monstrous creature, uh, demons and everybody agreed that that was dead, but it was because of the terrain and the packet. How, it did well for you, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, first of all, the line, the, the probably terrain was the most important. The fact that you could, if I played somebody with a lot of shooting nearly every game, I could hide most, I could definitely hide fate weaver. I could definitely hide, you know, two or three princes. That was big. And then if I flew up, I could hide definitely turn one. Uh, which obviously is really important, but yeah, being able to fly around and even though I have to drop down on the last turn, um, knowing that I have so much speed and I could summon extra units if I needed to, um, they weren't objective secured, but I could at least summon extra units to to grab objectives was really important. Um, and that's one thing probably in my list I actually missed. I really wish I'd taken the portal glyph just because it was a uh, it made objective secured troops. Um, if it was on a it was on it was on my starting detachment. And I think that was, I, if I'd have played it again, I probably would have taken that just because I took it in my invitational list, but I didn't take it in the uh, in the um, open, and that was probably one thing that actually cost me in the open. But it was, it, yeah, definitely the speed was key, definitely speed, yeah. or and and being able to get you know good scoring units onto objectives that were quite far away. Yeah, exactly, and I mean, seeing how seeing how tournament or how this particular packet kind of the packet of terrain can kind of shape different armies. Like I said, that you you know everybody everybody basically said was dead, 
uh, or you know doesn't do that well, and you you see these lists flourish. And then the nice thing, the cool thing about it is when these lists flourish at Nova, other people try to force them into other metas, and it, it really kind of stabilizes a list. Like you know, we did really well with Avesta Star at Nova a year ago, and then it just kind of popped up everywhere and it was like okay well this is now a thing it was really a list that that flourished at nova because of the way that the packet was designed but you know it was still a strong list and because of nova it kind of kind of went everywhere and um you know now you can kind of count on seeing wave serpents at least in the u.s you know you can basically go okay well i'm going to see a bunch of wave serpents and mostly because Tony did well with them and they did so well at Nova, at least on the East Coast. Okay, I'm going to see a bunch of them. So now you can kind of, being this early, I really like the fact that it kind of helps cement some form of meta. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely leads the meta. List. We've seen that. I mean, even like, uh, regardless of whether it's in the in the Northeast or of the United States, we see, um, you know, we saw people taking um, Blobguard pretty much straight away in, in the UK. Um, after Copatch bought that, you know, a couple of years ago, and we saw a Vesa Star, we saw a Vesa Star all over the place as soon as you guys ran that. Um, so yeah, it definitely does lead. Um, um, so yeah, so let's uh, get into the meat and potatoes, uh, which is actually playing the games at the event. That's why everyone was there. Um, so you started off with the Invitational, which is on Thursday. You played four rounds of that, um, and then the final would have been on the Sunday. Um, so let's talk to the two UK guys who are. Um, heavily involved in that. Um, Robert, do you want to start us off? Do you want to talk us through how your uh, first day of invitational was? Yeah, so get up nice and early, nice and, well, not so awake. Uh, first game was against uh, Zach, I can't pronounce his last name. Oh, is that the 15-year-old kid? Yes, who was super, super impressive game-wise. Uh, he threw me back a little bit because he actually made the semi-final of the Open as well. No, no. Hey, problem, he's uh, he's Zach local to us. Polikowski. Yes, really nice guy. Uh, he had six wave serpents and a wraith knight, I think it was, and three units of swooping hawks. Uh, the mission was objectives. So there's six objectives in set positions. Around two on your deployment zone line, twelve inch on, eighteen or twenty-four in from the end, two on the halfway line of the board, twelve in from the side edges so going around the outside of the board uh the way the nova missions worked was this your primary or a secondary goal where so the primary on this was objective you control at the end of the game and the secondary which he chose was uh you accumulate points by controlling objectives throughout the game so cutting story short my beast pack killed nothing until turn five when it actually caught up with some of his uh wave serpents because i managed to fail a hit and run on a six against a wraith knight which if had passed would have been the game because i would have been able to hit four of his wave serpents in one go but in the end i think i won that one 14 to 11 by just turn five having more of i think i managed to sit on three of the objectives contesting one and then he had seven or eight points throughout the game so i'd managed to pin him back enough into a corner stop him getting enough points that at the end of the game he couldn't stop me with the jet bikes the beast pack the sea council just going on to where i needed 
So after playing Zach in round one, round two was against a guy called Brad Nichols, who was running Tau with the five sport cadre. So he had nine broadsides, two riptides, a buff commander, an ethereal, two sky rays, a bastion, uh, and then some crew. That was pretty much it. And then we, so it was Hammer and Anvil on the Gamblers Investors mission, which we spoke about earlier. So we both played Gamblers, which is standard scouring, but rather than a four point objective, there's two threes, two twos, two ones, nice and simple. And each player has a one, a two, and a three in their half to make it fair. So I went first, sums up the game, with Invisibility, Fortune, Sanctuary. And so I had a three up re-rolling beast pack, which only hit on sixes. First turn, I just moved up, ran. Second turn, charged some broadsides. I managed to snipe his ethereal with a my Vol's Wrath. So he lost his stumble. And then I charged a tau gun line. And yeah, a tau gun line fell apart because it had been charged. I think we called it turn four after just some mega multi-charges and hammer and anvil and sweeping a lot of his army. So, so that's got to be a pretty uh, confident uh, start for the event for you. Yes, it was two good games, two wins. And we had a few drinks with that game because I felt a little bad how it was going because my saves were hot as well. So I was passing a lot, which just made it worse. And so... Game three actually ended up on the feature table with the live stream playing against uh, Kurt Klaus, who's trying to get onto the ETC team for next year. So he's a good player. He was running uh, Dark Eldar with Eldar allies. So he had two Venoms. He had Vect, Baron, <coughs> two Beast Packs. Then he had Karandras. I actually watched I actually this game. This game. Um, on the live stream, yeah. Yeah, and this was a kill point mission. I played the standard kill points, so it's whatever I got compared to what he got. He played the alternative, which meant I also had to play it, where each unit, could, every time it killed something, gained a token. And all characters with the unit still count as one unit. If they split off, the unit keeps it. So because he picked that, he had, my beast hat could only get a maximum of one kill point on the secondary, on his version. And the jet set counts could only get one. So I think I happened to roll three invisibilities and then a fortune and a sanctuary as well. So I managed to kill one of his beast packs. He killed my Vol's Wrath. Then I killed the Wraith Knight, a Venom, some witches. It came down the end of the game where I had to split off all my characters from the beast pack to kill some witches. The rest of the beast pack had to go and sit and contest to get Linebreaker. I then had to kill the Wraith Knight with my Sayer Council, which I just managed to do. And then I had, in his last turn, because he was going second, if he could kill five Dark Eldar Warriors with his Beast Pack, which yeah, I think he needed a seven or so on the charge, which he got, he then had to kill a unit of bikes, or at least make them run, and he would have won the game. In the end, he didn't manage to get the bikes. So then... It came down to the main mission where it was a dead tie. I'd, I'd beat him on his, so he got nothing. I'd won mine by two. 
But then he got first blood and line breaker, and I only got line breaker, so it came down to a tie. So I ended up going down to victory points, which I won by a few hundred. But it was so close in the end, because if I'd failed that leadership check or hadn't managed to kill a couple of witches, then it would have gone his way. So that was probably the toughest game I had all week. That was game three. So game four, I played someone a lot of the UK guys may know, Mr. Alex Fennell, who's ex-England DTC team, living in America at the moment. And he was running his friend's uh, demon list with a big unit of hounds, a big unit of seekers with a herald who has the challenge, gift, fate weaver, I think he had another flying prince, and then some horrors. And I got Invis Fortune up, ran to the middle of the board, sat on the relic, and then he moved up and just ran at me, didn't charge, just ran. Hope trying to stop one of my powers next turn, and he might, have, which he failed to do because I, I rolled half my dice at Fortune, half at Invis, make sure I get him off. And he threw all his dice at one or the other and failed to stop him each time. So I then charged in and after horrifying both squads one turn with the Seer Council, so they were both a minus three leadership to start with, I think in three turns of combat I managed to beat through them and I went off and killed his horrors. And I've been told a lot of people were screaming at me on this chat because last turn I decided to move the entire beast pack off the relic to charge a lot of change and some horrors. But that I then cast invisibility on some jet bikes and moved them on, which hopefully shut a lot of people up after that. Because <laughs> I wasn't completely crazy. Game four, tired. Yeah, I did have our plan somewhere. So yeah, I ended up winning that and ended up 4-0 after day one of the Invitational, which meant on the Sunday morning I would have had to get up at, I think the first game started at half past seven in the morning for that, Jeez. for the final. But So... Yeah. So what you were there for, though, it's what you were there for. Um, so let's leave it there. We'll leave everyone on a cliffhanger, um, and we'll go to Chucky if he's back. Is he back? Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, so we are going to go into your um, first four games in the Invitational, please, Chucky. Okay. So as I said, I brought the Screamers. Um, I played a few games with Screamer Star, and I was feeling quite confident with it because I thought... It's quite got quite a few decent matchups. It has got some bad matchups, but I really wasn't sure what to expect. And I thought it's got good speed, and I can I can kind of uh, play a lot of these objectives quite well. So first game I played um, Gareth Hunt, and I, I played him. I actually played him twice over the um, week, so it was kind of he was a really nice guy. He brought um, a screamer star, um, but basically three screamer star. I think with three or four heralds. Can't remember exactly how many. A um, couple of soul grinders, uh, the obligatory horrors, and then he brought two imperial knights as allies. Mm. And so, and we played the first mission, which was the basic objectives. Um, and we both picked at the end of the game, which was good because I was kind of I was really quite a bit scatterbrained at the start of the game because I kind of had all my stuff out and I was quite quite tired. And so um, he gave me first turn. I think the powers we we rolled very similar powers, lots of summoning powers. Um, the first turn though I failed the Grimoire on the Screamer Council uh, which was kind of bad because I kind of pushed him forward 
hoping to at least you know kind of put all the screamers because he had to, the way he has to deploy he has to put his knights on one side and everything else on the other side because of that 12 inch deployment I thought if I get first turn I can put all 30 screamers at his knights you know try and wreck them and then kind of swing around and kill the rest of his army uh, but failing the grimoire with the screamer council meant I was kind of like ah oh, kind of, it was a big um, offensive uh, loss so I had to kind of basically lose turn one just flying around doing nothing uh, just um, turboing outside his charge range he moved forward did some damage and then in turn two I um, basically went for the, the charge I threw everything into his knights and I think I charged like 20 screamers into his knights and I found the big problem with this list was that it's strength five with armbane is it's good but it's sometimes it's just not good enough sometimes against these knights because um you need to roll an eight or higher to do any damage. And it's, sometimes you just don't roll very well. So the first night, I blew through it in one round of combat, I think, and I lost a couple of Screamers to Explosion, but no big deal. Uh, the second one, he um, he didn't he didn't do a lot of damage. I, I, I grimoired this unit that charged in, so he didn't do any damage to me as such, but he stomped, and he rolled three stomps, and he managed to stomp a unit that was outside of combat that wasn't grimoired. Did loads of damage and then combat res destroyed that screamer unit. Like it was down to like three or four left. And then I I, I really struggled to kill the soul grind as well. The same problem because uh, he got the plus one invulnerable and he had cursed earth on them. And at the time his screamer cancer was kind of coming around and killing my stuff. So I kind of felt like it was I was falling out of it and um, I kind of was losing a bit of heart. To be honest, I was like I didn't really know what to do because this is the problem. If you don't play an army a lot, you're kind of not really sure like what to do. And in the end, I, I actually risked my screamer cancel into his knight to try and tie it up, try and finish it off, sorry. And he rolled the obligatory three stomps with the strength uh, six and just and killed the whole screamer cancel uh, in one uh, attack, which was bad. And I lost, basically. <laughs> wow. I lost the first game. So I was kind of like... Uh, but actually, it came down to... On VPs, I, I, on the um, objectives, <laughs> I think I only lost by, by one or two points. It was quite a close game. Um, the big problem, obviously, was summoning. Both armies got summoning. So turn five was... It was only ever going to turn to turn five. Uh, he had last turns, and he and we both knew that because he had last turn, and it was going to definitely end on turn five. He could summon with with that with with immunity, um, and I couldn't mm. stop his because he had killed my screamer council in that combat uh, the round before in my turn. I had lost all my dice, so he had twenty dice against my like five. So he just summoned all the units and just contested my objectives and won with his one at the back. I think. But it was it was good, and he was a nice guy. It was good. It was kind of was a good start, um, and I kind of learned a lot how to play that army. So going into second game, I played Frank Smith, um, another demon player, and he was running demons and demons, and he had basically lots of flying monster creatures: Bellacore, Fatey. Uh, I can't remember how many. Maybe one or two Dawn Demon Princes, plus then some Screamers. And it was the investor and gambler, and we. He picked the investor and I picked the gambler, which for me actually was really good because I kind of learned how to play this if it was people picked the opposite one because I had no idea how it worked otherwise. I, I kind of was just going to hope somebody would teach me how to play it. And because I'd lost the first game, kind of the pressure was off. I knew I couldn't win. So you're kind so of using this as a definitely a, a test ground for the for the for the open the next day, pretty much. Yeah, 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 basically. And the guy and Frank was really nice, and we both knew that we were out, so we just kind of have a chilled game. We won't work. If we knew if we ran out of time, it wasn't a big deal. Because again, he had a lot of summoning. I had a lot of summoning. So it was never going to get past turn five anyway, if that. So he kind of flew forward. 
and now I this is what kind of changed my list, maybe changed my list actually. I thought that Screamer slashes, because I was so used to playing like the ETC FAQ and things here, I assumed that Screamer slashes ignored cover. Because that's how it's played in, in the ETC. But in in the Nova it got ruled that it didn't ignore cover, which was massive because he had Bellacore with shrouding. So everyone had the two up cover save basically on re-rolling ones and all the zench stuff so my screamer slash suddenly was doing nothing to him um but i managed to kill velicor with slashes because i did grimoire on him and he was outside terrain so he he had a two up save but it um but i managed to knock him down and then i charged him with some stuff and i think i killed him and i i basically i had a bit few more power dice than him by that point i think i had 20 to his sort of 10 or 12 and so i just had the edge on summoning and I managed to just out-summon him, basically. It just came down to who had the most number of uh, models on the table, and I had a few more. So I had, I had like, I don't know, I think I had 40 Screamers on the table at one point, and loads and loads. Because he, he let me use his models to summon, which was really nice as well. Because we, we were just messing about at that point. Um, and we, we both had Screamers that were painted exactly the same as well, which was kind of confusing what was going on. But it was, it was a really good game. I think I came down, I, I won that game. Um, by quite comfortably but I, I kind of understood how the, that mission worked so I kind of felt really happy that I could um, I could go into the open and play that mission uh, comfortably without worrying about what was going on and then by that point it, it was like it must have been I don't know like five o'clock after game two and my fiance came over with me to, to Washington so I kind of had the option there of just dropping out and I, I just took it because I thought there's no point in me playing more games and just getting more tired I might as well go and have something to eat and relax. So, uh, yeah, so I, I dropped out after two, which, you know, people were like, well, kind of, you know, I'm giving up the chance to play games. But when you're that jet lagged and when you, you've already lost, you're already out of it and you want to come into the next, you know, to, to the tournament fresh, the open, uh, I think it was the best option for me. So, and it kind of, that, so that kind of cut my invitation short. Okay, so that brings us to Friday, the uh, the Open. Um, so, Chucky, do you want to talk us through that? Obviously, you've made a few amendments. What were you thinking, sort of overnight? Um, so, I would thought, right, as I'm going into this, as I'm going down, down the stairs, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to use Screamers, but I'm going to put Bellacor in as the allied, rather than the extra Screamer unit. And I'm going to play, because all I'm thinking about, basically, if I play, because I, I see knights everywhere, um, in the invitation on the trios and people leaving their armies out and things and I think right I need something to kill knights so Bellacor's decent at it um, but also he's going to give me some extra protection if Grimoire fails I'm going to have the shrouding aura on him and it's all going to be good as I'm walking around the tables I'm thinking this terrain is just insane and what I was finding with Screamers was because of the the terrain pieces were so big like the, the bases I was taking so many difficult terrain checks it's not a problem in the Screamer Council but and the screamers themselves, like you're taking lots of damage every turn from because you're moving out of cursed earth range normally, um, you not only you only have your five of them vulnerable, and I was losing wounds like left, <coughs> right, and center on the screamer units. I thought um, that was a problem, and I thought I've got to change my lists. I just, but I just didn't know what to do, and um, I said to Robbo, "Oh, you know, I, I was on WhatsApp chatting to the Welsh guys and Adam Ryland, who is a really good." Uh, demon player here in the UK, he said, you know, why don't you just like kind of like sparked it? So I thought, oh yeah, that's not a good idea. And Robbo thought I was crazy to change it at last minute, but I kind of thought that was 
because of the the terrain and everything and everything I'd played in the missions, and I thought it's it's going to be better than the screamers. I just thought you were crazy for listening to Adam, to be honest. I know. Because it's um, Adam. I know. Adam is like he is. He he has crazy ideas, but he has good ideas every so often. So uh, so what did you end on. up taking yeah, in the end? So it was Fate Weaver, um, a Keeper of Secrets with some greater gifts. Um, and then I took a couple units of horrors of like just give some power dice, and then two demon two, two demons of Sinesh, Demon Prince of Sinesh with wings with lash, and uh, grimoire and a couple of the greaters. And then I allied with demons. I took Bellacore and some Nurglings. Now if I'd gone in hindsight, I probably should have taken the because in Adam's original list he takes three demon princes of Sinesh and a Bastion. So the Bastion gives him that protection from turn one alpha strikes, but you just don't need that in this terrain. It's just not, it's just, you know, there's so much terrain already, you don't need the extra Bastion. So I thought, well, I'm going to give Bellacore a try. Because I, I thought, you know, he's good against knights and the extra powers might be useful. So I played game one, I played against Andrew Maim, I think it may, or Main. Um, he was a really nice American, really uh, friendly, uh, which was good because I was kind of, I wasn't really sure what to expect. And he was running Chaos Marines allied with demons. And he had, off the top of my head, he had, a, he had like some, some spawn with a Chaos Lord in there, like a power fist and such on a bike. He had a Demon Prince of Zench, I think, from the Chaos. And he had like the, um, the, the spell familiar, so he could get some good summoning. He could read all his summons, which is actually a really nice idea. I like that. He had a, he had a, and then he allied with demons, he had a Screamer Council. So it's kind of like a spawn and council with with a with a skull the soul grinder uh, as backup, and I thought going to this game quite kind of confident because I didn't see how he was going to hurt my fly monster creatures because he didn't take any offensive powers on any of his stuff. It was all summoning, and I thought to be honest, it's, I'm not it's not so bad. I, I can probably you know I can probably fly around and kill this stuff. Um, so turn you know, so I, I get first turn, I fly around. I'm, I'm doing and I, the best thing about um, these Sanesh. Um, princes is they get the lash, which is a good shooting attack, but also they get the beam of the pervane of slash, I think it's called. And beams are really good in um, seventh. And people, as I said before, in one of I think in the previous uh, ramblings, that people don't realise that beams like, like they they don't go down in strength. And I think every of my any of my opponents thought they did go down in strength, but they didn't. And strength six rending is really good because they can hit invisible units. They can um, they can do damage. To, you know, if people pack pack together, you can hit like five, six, seven, eight models because it's, it's an eighteen inch beam. And Fate's got a twenty four inch beam, so I had um, four beams in this army, and with the speed, you can you could get good angles with it. And so I, I kind of flew around. I did lots of damage. He didn't really do anything to me because he, he just couldn't uh, hit my flyers. The screaming council was annoying, but in the end, um, I tied it down with. Um, a keeper of secrets, and I grimoired him up, so he had a two-up uh, vulnerable um, with cursed earth because he has cur- he has to curse earth himself to keep himself alive. So I've got cursed earth, and also I had rerolling vulnerables on the keeper from his greater, so he had a two-up rerollable as well. So my keeper could, could never die. To you dirty him. bugger! And, uh, he could try and grim he could try and grimoire me, but it didn't matter. Keeper is so hard to kill for screamers because he's weapon skill nine and tough and sick, so he's not going to die. And um, while well, well, I had him up, all my other demons basically killed his army, and so that was it was a big win for me, which was good. 
Um, Definitely a better start bit. than um, than the day before for you. So yeah, you yeah, feeling really a lot more start. confident. Yeah, and I actually I was like, you know what, this list is really good. And I saw as soon as I saw the I looked up to the next board, I saw the table that was hammer and anvil. And again, these these two massive blockers, these L shaped blockers, were just like perfect for my army. I was like, no matter what <laughs> I play, I'm gonna have a good chance here. And um, next guy walks up, and he's got I think it's Andrew Andrew Rob- Robinson. Andrew Robinson, yeah. Yeah, um, so he was bringing Imperial Guard with Ultramarine allies. He's got a double blob with Yarrick, some Las Cannons on both blobs, and he's got Tiggy with some Centurions, some Scouts, and Thunderfire Cannon. He's got some Wivens. So pretty much so, what you'd expect to see. Yeah, and he had a Legion of the Dam Squad as well, which I, was, I thought that was quite an interesting combination. Um, obviously, with Tiggy's reroll, they're quite nice. And he, so he rolled his powers, and I was like, you know what, he's got some psychers, and I thought, you know what, it doesn't, unless he gets, like, Tiggy, unless Tiggy gets good powers, I'm pretty much, you know, these last cannons are going to do nothing, because they're so small, they're not going to see anything, because they're, they're so low down, these yeah, last cannons. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Tiggy go, he then proceeds to roll gate, invisibility, and ignore cover on his <laughs> Tiggy, yeah. and I was like, oh god, it looks like the one, the three things I didn't want. And then he goes like for banishment and all the primaris and um, takes, a, I think, a prescient somewhere. So I'm thinking, oh, this is like not good. He's got all the good powers. He then seizes the initiative off me as well. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to gate over and he's going to kill Fate Weaver. He's going to kill, um, like, you know, my princes, turn one. But instead, he doesn't, he doesn't risk it because he thinks, I think he asked about it, and he doesn't risk it because he thinks I'll stop gate. Oh, yeah, we both. I mean, I've got twenty to spell dice. But he yeah, he hasn't like got 50. a lot of charge. Yeah, yeah, he had. I think he has like twelve dice or eleven dice. But if he just rolled everything at gate and maybe gone for um, a cover, it could have really changed the game. But instead, he plays conservative. He walks up. I kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Um, and his one mistake is he brings the centurions forward. He leaves Tiggy from the squad, and he leaves them just outside psychic could range. Um, after he's done his running and everything with his with his blob. And he's got Yarrick in the squad, but he's left them all within range of my um, princes. So I fly up on my turn one, and I have Psychic Shriek and all my princes, um, Fatey and Bellacor. And I just do four Shrieks, four Beams, um, some I think some Flickering Fire, and I kill all the Centurions to, like, on my turn one. And they're on my mark for death as well, so that was really big. I got first blood, uh, I actually killed Yarrick, and he stayed down, which is Warlord, and I got mark for death so i got six points in like the first terms so i was like oh that's massive um because it was the racking up points every turn he had these blobs racking up points but i could just basically summon loads of stuff in the backfield and he could never get to my backfield apart he had a, some leaves of the damned come in um which were annoying but eventually they got they got tied down and killed um he actually then went for a crazy um gate of infinity block with his blob because I think he, he, at this point, I was just killing his army with shrieks and beams, and he gated this fifty-man blob. He rapid fired, and he and he, he ordered, and he didn't order. He did like a first rank or like a double shot with his blob. He had like loads of shots, and he killed. And I, I even went to ground with my horrors. I think he killed like nine or ten horrors or something. It was really, I was kind of worried at that point, but I had like a unit of horrors left who had the um, on demonology. They'd rolled the the torrent flame of power. So then they went for a they went for the torrent flame and then they went for the three dice flickering fire, and I think that I think I had like three or four flames left, uh, three or four horrors left, and they actually killed the whole fifty man blob with just two shooting attacks. Jesus, because um, he was so packed together, the flamer did like 
30 hits and it's strength 4 AP5. So they were just they just just killed like half the blob. And then I had a 46 flipping fire. And with after the toughness checks and the soul blaze, all the blob, all the all guardsmen died. I think it was just Tiggy left. Um so and then he just kind of gave up at that point. And I think I didn't I didn't quite wipe him out, but it was a big win. Um so that was a good, a good second game. Uh, so game three was against another blob. Um, it was against Brad. I can't remember his second name. Brian Hazler. Oh, yeah, Brian. Yeah, that's it. And he was, again, a really nice... All my opponents have been really nice at this point. Um, so, again, it was it was good. And he'd brought, in, he'd brought double blob with Garrick and lots of last cannons, Wivens, and then two knights. And again, this is, and this was kill points. So I thought, you know what, this is really good for me because he's got nothing that's going to kill my flyers. Um, I've got, I rolled really good powers. I rolled an iron arm on both my Sinesh princes. So they both had strength nine um, lashes. And he had no dispel dice. So I knew I could get those off every turn pretty much. And I'm going to be flying around. just going to shoot. I'm going to go for his knights. And I'd pick the modified kill points because I was going to go for, I was going to try and get a kill point on all my princes. And because I knew he's not going to get many kill points off me, um, I'm going to win on that anyway. And that's pretty much what happens. My, my prince is just, both princes, basically I just double team his uh, knights. Each prince flies on either side. He only can give an iron shield on one side. And then my other lash prince has 2d6 rank 9 shots in the side. And he has no save against it. And I just wreck both knights pretty quickly. He does, um, he does some damage with his last cannons and like mass shooting, but against flying demons because you have to actually wound now to make you take a grounding check he just can't get wounds through um i think he does like a couple of wounds here and there mm. and i get quite lucky i, I pass my grounding checks uh, when he does wound me and so he just can't yeah, again he just can't do anything to flyers and uh so i win quite comfortably that game i think I, I, it's not a massive win because i don't get because i had this silly silly situation where my, I, I was getting things down to like one hell point or a couple of guys left, and then my my chaos the demon table was killing off the um, doing the last hole point or killing off the the ah, last. Ah, so you're not getting the. Um... I'm not getting a modified kill point because it's not a model, it's not on the table. And so I was like, I was like, oh, and I, obviously I couldn't stop it because it was at the start of the shooting phase. So um, there was nothing I could do about it. I could re-roll it, but I didn't want to re. I didn't want to roll the um, you know, the bad one. So I just had to live with it. I knew I was I knew I was up, so I knew I could still win the game. Um. So then game four, I played Gareth Hunt again. And this time, it's a rematch, but this time I know I've got, I've got he's using the same army, but I've got the advantage because, I've, again, I've got flyers and he's got knights. And these knights, I know, are not going to do anything to my flyers. And he hasn't, and he doesn't take any, he's only got his flickering fires on his, um, on his heralds. So he's not got anything to really knock me down. Um, and I know I've got the Grimoire as well. So even if he does Grimoire himself, um, if he's six, I can get rid of it if I want to. I can make him down to three up, but I know that he hasn't got fate reverse. As soon as he fails his grimoire, he's going to be on a five up invulnerable. And you're going to be in there. And then I'm going to I'm going to like destroy those screamers. So he it's re, it's the relic, it's the mission with the relic, and there's like the four objectives in each corner. He gets turn one. He picks up the relic with the screamer council, and basically starts the the Benny Hill chase where his screamer council is running around the table and my. My whole army is basically flying after him, uh, waiting for him to fa fail the Grimoire. I get some good powers. Again, I get Iron Armor, at least. I think I get on one Prince, which is enough just to do some damage to the um, to the Knights. He His Soul Grinders end up getting killed by Bellacore. 
uh, who who goes through his whole lines pretty easily. Um, and in the end, he it does happen where his screamer council fails to Grimoire once. I then Grimoire him, so he's down to a six of them vulnerable. I then do five shrieks, I think, on his script scream unit, and they all die. Like the whole unit dies. Um, I think some beams and some slashes as well. And I kill the whole squad. He then sits a knight on top of the objective relic. He can't pick it up, but he can just sit on it. And he he does. I think he does pick it up, uh, which you can't do with the knight. But and it doesn't matter in the end. I I have all the objectives and the relics contested. So um, I think I win. It was quite a close again. It's reasonably close because I don't think I think in the end I, I couldn't quite get to the relic or something. There was something I can't remember what, how it worked about, but I won the game quite comfortably. And I think he got enough points because he'd done really well previously. Even though he lost that game, he got enough points to get into the undefeated bracket. Oh, into the final or, bracket. Yeah, to the, the bracket one. Because um, it was the says, top 16 players got into the... Or people who got the best 16 win ratio. I'm not sure how it's worked out. But, but I think you had to either get four wins or you had to get three wins and a loss with loads of points. Um, so then game five, I played Matt Schumann. Who play? Who was using Sir Council with three Wraith Knights, which is quite worrying because he got turn one. But again, the train was so good, I could hide. Um, in this game, basically, it came down to Bellacor. Bellacor killed all three Wraith Knights, and that was it. He couldn't. He, I kill. I kill one with Shriek turn one. He then charged two Wraith Knights into Bellacor. Bellacor just laughed at both. Well, I just rolled really well, and then he just killed both in combat, and that was it. Game over. He couldn't. He couldn't. Uh, do anything to my army after that. He had no shooting, and his sick council could just fly around. But I had it was it was the one where you had to get points in corners, and because I picked uh, the last, because I picked the um, picking the points at the end of the game, and I had second turn, I could just drop a prince in each corner, and that was three hundred odd points in each corner. And yeah, he's never going to beat me with his with his council. And um, so then game six. So that's five five straight. You're looking pretty yeah. Uh... Yeah, so I'm pretty happy with this. And again, I'm, I'm feeling quite confident going to round six and playing against um, Tom, the, the Danish guy, with his beast pack um, with Wraith Knights and Serpents. And I'm thinking this is quite, this is like the hardest game I've had to play so far in terms of matchup. But it's pretty good because it's the, um, what's the mission? I can't remember the mission. I think it's this, it's the is it Gamblers, Inve- Gamblers Investors again. They both pick the scouring options. It's like the multiple objectives, the, the, the point, the multiple points. So uh, he, I get first turn, which is really good because I, th- I thought if he gets first turn, if he seizes, he's got all these serpents and knights, and he can kind of because he's quite quick, he can get around the, the, the object, get around the, around the side blockers. I get first turn, I kill a wraith knight turn one with all the shrieks, which is quite lucky, and the beam and my uh, demon table. And he doesn't. He doesn't like again. He, he doesn't know how to play against flying monster creatures. He's leaving his characters quite clustered at the back of the unit of beast packs. And I may because he's, even though he's invisible, I'm able to beam through these um, through the pack. And because there's strength six rending, I'm able to kill three out of four spiritsers on turn two. Um, so he has no he has no invisibility anymore. I get really unlucky though on my turn three. I don't kill anything. Which was quite surprising. I, I, I dropped both lash princes on the ground. It was quite risky, but I dropped both lash princes behind the serpents because they got two to six strength six in the rear. I thought you've only got two whole points left on each. That's no problem. I don't do anything. Um, 
he then charges his Wraith Knight into a prince with a grimoire who I had invisible, and I get really I get really lucky. I pass the armor save from his Hammer of Wrath, and then he misses his attack. So I'm like, oh, thank God. Bellacor then sweeps him up. And in the end, his beast packs just run through all my um, backfield because I can't, I can't really, even without invisibility, I, I can't really stop it. It, it just kills everything in its path. Uh, the keeper holds it down for a few turns. Um, and I actually get, I actually, as he's coming towards me, his Lord, my horror unit has possession and he's running all the way to the corner and then they actually possess themselves into a Lord of Change who then flies away. Um, but he gets, he gets one hit from a jet bike unit, which actually wounds me. And I, he grounds me, I want to change. And I, I have a reroll, and I, for some reason, I didn't. I, I thought I'll save it, and I should have used it because that reroll was key. If I'd have had that Lord of Change in the game, it, it probably would have um, changed the game. And in the end, he has like um, quite a lot of, of, of small scoring stuff. I kill all. I kill as much as I can. At turn five, he's winning, um, but it goes on. And then turn six, he's winning, and it goes on. But by this point, by turn seven, I've managed to kill all this his small crap. Um, and I'm in a really comfortable position, and I have a choice to win the game. Do I fly my prince onto a two-point objective and win, or do I fly him onto a three-point objective? Uh, oh, sorry, win on VPs. Or do I fly on a three-point objective, kill some Dark Elder warriors, and then win by one VP? And I make the I basically I make the wrong choice. I, I go for the three-point objective. I leave one warrior left who passes his leadership check, and he then obviously with objective secured. He has the objective. I mean, there's loads of dice rolls, but I, I basically just completely fluff on, on the last one, the last uh, shooting and psychic phase. So he wins by one VP, and so oh, that's it for me. I then lose that game. At this point, um, it's now goes to Sunday for game seven and eight, and I, I decide that um, I'll go and spend the day sightseeing and doing other things because I, I, there's, there's no point playing. I, I don't see the point personally for playing to try and get you know fifth sixth seventh in the bracket i might as well just have a bit of fun while i'm in uh, while i'm in dc that was it for me so how was your tournament experience in general uh, it was really good nova was amazing uh, it was it's hard to, to describe compare it to other tournaments it's kind of like i guess you have the same feeling as after the etc probably matt is the same thing like you get a bit you feel a bit like oh when you come back you're a bit like oh like you don't really want to go to any other tournaments because it's like there's nothing compares to it because it's so well run it's uh you know the train's good the atmosphere and all that but um it was really good the the, the opponents were really nice which was which was really good um it definitely wasn't like playing russians then no no definitely everyone was really friendly everyone was um <coughs> very very happy to yeah people made mistakes we kind of like just let people get on with it um so you you definitely recommend it to um, people in terms of travel over going to um, mainland European events, would you? Or um, possibly, uh, yeah. I, it, it definitely was. It, the problem is, is it's the time difference is a killer. Going back, that I mean, you know, you're you've flown around in America a lot. You know that jet lag is a big problem, and when you're trying to play lots of games. The problem gets worse. You're only eating junk food, so you're not eating properly. You're not really drinking. It's really hot. Like I said, I'm from the Isle of Man, so I'm used to like 60, 50, 60 degrees every day. Over there, it's like 100 with the humidity. So as soon as you go outside to get something to eat, you know, you're like sweating madly, and it's yeah, you know, you can't really go anywhere at nighttime without 
feel like you can't breathe and I struggled, I struggled to sleep at night time because it was so hot so it, it that, that all that stuff made it much harder than it, than it should have been um, but it was it was fun I, I enjoyed meeting all the guys off the internet you know like Reese and um, Mike Brandt and all those guys it was good to see them sweet sweet so let's um, let's get a different perspective and let's speak to Jesse I want to know how these uh, rock and sock and robots go on well, first of all, man, James, you can't even shout out to meeting me. I see how it is. Maybe, maybe I'll just lose your jersey in the mail. <laughs> Actually, yes, meeting Jesse was, was cool because I'd watched all your videos on um, SG. SG videos were, were really. It was when it first came out. Um, when you started doing all those videos, I, I thought that was such a good idea. You know, being able to uh, go when you, it was Matt fans against Justin Cook. I think the first one you did, and the, the way you sped through it was really cool and. Um, it was actually one of my big things to go and was was to, to go out to Nova and actually see you guys and uh, and see that you know hear Serena's voice and laugh at him about um, strength nine, iron priest and things. <laughs> <laughs> but then Serena didn't even, he wasn't even playing, so I didn't even get a chance to see him, which was annoying. But never mind, another time. So I played Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Like I said, I changed the list less than five minutes before the pairings went out. Um, my first round, I played against an Orc Boy Horde. Um, the guy was just clearly out there to have, have a good time. He was an amazing opponent. Uh, you know, he was playing like real fluffy and everything. But, uh, you know, we just had a good time. There's 180 Orc Boys um, in different units. I... Uh, Mexican hat danced all over him with Imperial Knights. <laughs> he capped the game off with uh, a robot off. He had a Morkinot. I didn't bother shooting it. I let him go ahead and, and charge an Imperial Knight. We had we had to go off. Unfortunately, the Morkinot did not stand up. Um, so that was, I mean, it was it was a great fun game. It was an easy game to get get the swing of the list um, and all that, and a great against a great opponent to just play in general. Uh, my second game was against a guy who was a little bit more on the try-hard side. Still a nice guy. Uh, he played Tal Fire Support Cadre with Tal Main. Uh, we both played Investors and Gamblers. I actually believe this game was on camera um, or round two, but he chipped off, killed an Imperial Knight uh, kind of early, but his firepower was real dwindling, or was really dwindling, and he just couldn't get through it. Eventually, he had to get his Devilfish Fire Warriors out of Devilfish, and that allowed me to just clean him up with Imperial Knights and charge through him. And uh, because I marked for death and took Warlord, and I marked for death his Warlord, who was in the unit of Crisis Suits, it meant his one Crisis Suit unit couldn't couldn't contest or couldn't be anywhere near my Imperial Knights. Uh, and really kind of kept them out of the game, even with their tank hunter. But it was just the strength of that four-up re-rollable and vulnerable save. Uh, and then at the end of the game, his dice just quit on him. Uh, my third game was against Troy Esposito, who is who is a blast. He plays a beautiful Space Wolf army. He's the only person I know that is that I personally know that's as crazy about Space Wolves as, as Sereno. Um, he's a really good competitor. He topped 16 Adepticon uh, last year with him at the end of 6th edition when people kind of were writing him out. And uh, it was drop pods. Uh, he went first, came in. I intercepted the crap out of things. I fusioned. I, I got I got a fusion hit plus a large blast on a drop pod, left it with one hole point, failed to kill it. I I brought a unit down to one uh, combi melted um, uh, great or... Wolf guard, Wolfguard, battle league, yeah. Wolf guard, whatever they are. 
Uh, so he ended up nabbing first blood. Uh, was then, he playing new or old Space Wolves, by the way? He was playing new. He was playing okay. new. He actually had Bajoran as his HQ. Um, but he came down. He did nothing to my Imperial Knights. He caused like five total pens the one. And I saved them all with the invulnerable save uh, with the rerolls. And even though it was Vanguard Strike, I was able to really, to really easily stop him from stretching my uh, field by basically putting myself along the back edge and in the corner. Uh, with my my uh, riptides out front in the ruins, so you know he wasn't able to actually get any um, any like side shots and front shots off to stretch my shields. So the invulnerable saves carried me through the day. There he came down. He kind of blew his load because he was all he was all combi weapon based. Uh, and then I mean as he came in, I was just killing squads off left and right, and then assaulting whatever was left. Uh, my fourth game was against Matt Shuckman, who was playing Seer Council in the Relic. And it basically came, we, we both realized the game was going to come down to um, a D6 off. It was whoever went first. Unfortunately, it was me D6 in versus him and Baron with D6 plus one. Ah. So he won that dice roll. He was able to jump up, grab the Relic. Had I won the dice roll, I had a 12-inch path to get an Imperial Knight to stand on top of the Relic. At which point, you know, I have three Imperial Knights. You can't deal with them really. So uh, that game was awesome, though, because I got to stomp out a Wraith Knight. It was beautiful. Uh, a Wraith Knight that wasn't in combat, by the way. Um, oh. Yeah, I just, like, stretch out. I was like, oh, look, I'll clip your Wraith Knight. Oh, it's a six. So uh, that was that was my first loss. Um, funny enough, though, that loss actually dropped me down to third bracket because I only got, like, six points out of it. Uh, so my battle points kind of dropped me a little low. I played a White Scar player who... Kind of same thing. I I got into the habit of deep striking my uh, my riptides when I didn't need them on the table, and it was great. So uh, you know, he had they can do that as well. Yeah. So he had all of his bikes, and they outflagged and all that. But I had a reroll reserve rolls as my warlord trait, so I just kept my things out until he was in. <coughs> basically, allowed me to get first blast. Um, I I actually got. I actually got like six kill or six hole points on his on his own Imperial Knight on turn one by pure luck. Like I managed to pen pen it through his invulnerable save with a melter cannon without a without being in melter range, and you know I got my D three and it was three, and so I got, I got pretty lucky that game. But I ended up uh, killing everything he had. And my final game was actually against um, Mark Parker, I believe his name is from. Wrecking Crew. He played uh, 110 Orc Boys, and it came down to, uh, he got so he played the Green Tide Formation, and then he got Infiltrate, so he infiltrated them 18 inches away from me, and then moved moved 6 through cover and ran 6. So I went, okay, I'm not going to have a chance to um, to really shoot him here. So I got one turn of shooting him, so I shot him, charged him with all three knights. Um, out of 14, it was, yeah, it was 14 stomps. I needed to roll a single six to win the game, basically, because I would have taken out, like, four power claws and both war bosses, and he would have lost Fearless. Oh, and the pain boy, because of just how I bunched up everything I had to get. Yeah. And I didn't roll a single six. So he eventually drug down all three knights. I killed the green tide, though, with, with the riptides remaining, and I lost that game, uh, I think it was, like, nine to, to eight on primary. So I lost by, like, one. Uh, so it was close, and after that, I, I called it so that I could uh, drink heavily with Matt, uh, which was that that night was interesting night, and then just basically hang out. So that was the uh, that was the game plan. 
So all in all, I went four and two. Justin ended up going six and two with it and getting second to one. But it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun to not have to think and only move twelve models, and not have to do any of the bookkeeping that you're, you know, that frankly just takes all the time in uh, Nova. Yeah, the formation is definitely very strong. We're gonna be seeing a lot of that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, there's also been talk right now for a lot of the U.S. tournaments banning it because it's kind of, frankly, it's kind of stupid that for no no points increase whatsoever you get fortune. Yeah, yeah, you get yeah, fortune think, and then the additional benefit. I think that there's one formation I don't. I'm like I'm completely anti-comp, but there's one formation I don't like. It's the night one, just because it's so the bonuses are just so unbelievably good for nothing. I just don't understand. Like everything that's else. worse. That's worse than the tower one. Like when the tower one came out, everyone was like, "You know, that's that's bullshit. Why'd you get yeah. tank hunters for free?" But that's worse than the tower. Yeah, I mean, tank hunters are free, and you know, but in the day, it's some broadsides and riptide, which you know they're okay. That like in seven, they're not they're they're, they're slow moving. It's they're okay. You know, they're they're not game breaking anymore. But like knights are still really good, and they get this. It's just if they reroll the charge and the hammer wrath. That, and that was it, then fine. But to get the invulnerable to reroll it's just mad. It's just, uh, it makes the unit, it makes them so hard to kill with shooting. And then you have to fight them in combat, which they're so good in combat against nearly everything. I mean, very few units can actually fight them in combat and not get completely crushed by the, either the D attack or the stomp. Yeah, there's only a few. There's only a few units in the game. Uh, well, I think funny enough, their biggest weakness actually appears to be combat. Um, but they're still ridiculously good at it. But there's a lot of variance as well in the combat. Um, yeah, like they can, like things can go wrong for them, and they can get taken down. But yeah, it's like 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 I had the screen account, so I threw it into. It. I thought, you know, unless he rolls a six, I'm going okay. But then he rolls a six, and that's it. You know, you, you're dead. Yeah, there's nothing yeah, you can yeah, do about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean, it came out to, you know, um, one of the reasons we took the the precision shot on the. Uh, burst tides was the burst cannon can uh, double out the last cannon teams and the uh, uh. sms are great at picking on melt-a-bomb sergeants and the melt-a-bomb sergeants or basically hidden weapons of that that caliber um you know like i said i was playing mark parker and he uh he had all those power claws and eventually like they, they just drag you down if you can't if you don't get that six if you get that six they are amazing combat monsters if you don't get that six they're frankly they're you know they're they're a little lackluster on that aspect they're still way better than the arch were you guys rolling for each template or once for all of them because that's a little bit contentious as well sometimes uh we were rolling for each template yeah okay cool 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 um also but just i just want to say like if do you think if you'd have had like say a month to play test that list to work out the best ally do you not think you would have pretty much steamrolled most people? Because you guys threw that list together, like you said, like five minutes before the the pre before the submission. If you'd have spent like a little bit of time playing, it, a little bit of time thinking about right, there's all this terrain. Maybe I should pick, you know, how I can adapt to that. I, I think that would have been like another Avesta star moment. You would have pretty much rickrolled the whole the whole tournament that list. Yeah, with, pro with proper testing, um, also knowing uh, knowing what types, of, like what missions in particular you wanted to go for. You know, like I said, I played Matt Chuckman round four, and I uh, I picked the relic. I picked hearts and the hearts and homes. And frankly, if I picked homes, I probably would have won the game. Um, but it was just one of those things. I felt like okay, I can't I can't really compete in this one game. And I ended up playing the game, and I was like, if I would have picked homes, I would have won. 
so yeah, if I, if we would have had the proper playtesting with it, I think it would have I think it would have been uh, phenomenal. Um, as well as you know, you need you need some luck with the list. Like so, Justin ended up playing Thunderwolf, like a Thunderwolf star from the new Codex, and he stomped out like two Wolf Lords and two Iron Priests in one go. Just a six. It was like they're all gone. And the guy flubbed the guy flubbed on his attacks and caused like four hull points. That was it. And it was like, well, I guess I just won this game. Yeah. So that's the thing as well. Like, even if you do take them down in combat, you can still you can still lose all of your shit from the explosion anyway. So, like, it's not. Yeah. It's the it's the only way to really deal with them effectively when they've got that formation. You do need to get into combat, but even getting into combat. You know, it can go wrong for you, and that's it. Like, you, there's nothing else you can do. I think you'll see you'll see this in, if they don't if they don't ban it in the UK, you're going to see this list. It's going to be it's going to be up there with you know the beast pack because it's it's really good against some of these uh, lists that perhaps um, have been dominating recently. Um, and AV13 is really hard to kill with invulnerable save. Um, so you but then maybe you'll see a change. Maybe you'll see like flyers suddenly become more popular and so who knows it might just keep the uh, meta and i think that's the really interesting thing we're seeing with the different um different comps that we're using and what have you the meta is really floating around based on based on the the missions that you're playing but also how you're how you're comping the game because you guys in the states let pretty much everything ride right invisibly invisibility goes as it is summoning goes as it is re-rollable saves were they comped at all for the nova no, no, they're they're comped on the west coast. Yeah, um, but so you just yeah. let everything hang out, pretty much. Yeah, um, basically for um for Adepticon and Nova, uh, or Adepticon and the East Coast in general, there's almost no comp. The only comp tournament is the boys, right, Matt? Or right, Serena? Yeah, I mean, one thing to remember though is a big difference is we don't also allow anything Forge World on the East Coast. So yeah, whereas we're not comped, it's still like I obviously like the West Coast all has the Forge World approved list, but on the East Coast we're not even Forge World allowed. But yeah, other than that, I think it's literally just the boys is the only East Coast comp tournament. Cool, right? So let's um, Robo. Should we do your open first, and then just go back and do the final, the Invitational? Yes, can do. Okay, okay. Uh, simple. Game one, I played, I think his name was Vaden Ball, who had a Tau Battlesuit army with a Riptide and a Skyray. Oh, maybe in two Skyrays. Do you want to remind us what you uh, changed your list to as well? I had a Beast Pack, a nine-man Sayer Council, five Jetbike units, a unit of racks, a unit of Dakada Warriors, Eldrad, five Spirit Sears with a Shard, and the Baron, oh, and one Vol's Wrath. So the basic... The racks were there just to sit the Baron or a wall, not a wall, like okay, spirits here in. At turn one, join the beast pack and just give them feel no pain. So this guy played had, I think it was six units of five, I think it was six units of three suits with marker drones and missile drones and gun drones and shield drones, with all with missiles. Then he had two solar with flamer and... Uh, fusion gun because it was a uh, Tau allied with Tau, so we had the buff commander in there as well. Uh, I got a plus one to seize while I trait seized, powered up, charged, and over four turns, I think I think at the end of the game he had one unit left, hiding in a corner, running away, 
with the city council actually died that game because it charged a riptide and over three turns lost combat every turn because the riptide just kept beating them down they eventually killed the riptide and then one unit of suits shot them and they ran off the board because the fearless guy died the turn before uh... but I still, I still won the game so it was all good Second game, I think I played the organiser for Battle for Salvation, one of the big American events. Uh, Ed Miller, is that right, Jesse? Yes. Cool. So yeah, so he was running the Edmonton Lance with three knights, backed up by five Razorbacks and a Storm Raven. Uh, this was actually a really tough game. I managed to get invisibility off onto the Sea Council. Powered them up with Hammerhand which I think he stopped on the crucial turn two. But the beast charged forward. Two knights charged it. I kept the guy with the shard in there just to try and lock him down for a few turns. Charged one of the knights. Did I think it took me about 40 armor bane hits to kill it because my armor bane rolls were just terrible. And then I failed a hit and run on the six again. And Jesse walks past just after it had happened and goes, ha, this stomp's going to kill a lot this turn. He then rolls six and removes Baron, Eldrad, two spirit seers and a warlock. Which I blame Jesse for completely. But yeah, then I finally managed to kill off that knight and springboard into his backfield to kill off, finish off two Razorbacks. One of which was marked for death, so I got two points for killing as a secondary. I also got Linebreaker. And because I'd gone second, I managed to jump jet bikes onto all my home objectives which had been hiding from his knight which was running around killing, trying to pick him off and I jumped jet bikes onto one of his objectives and got line breaker so won like 11-7 in the end I think close one I think it was a really tough game but in the end because I managed to keep all my troops alive going second no win turn 5 we had end because of just time I managed to jump on the objectives and it was easy in the end but it was a really tough game all the way through, if that was, makes sense. Was time much of an issue um, over the event for you? I don't think I ever actually played at uh, turn six. Ah. But I did yeah. have games finished early. So. Yeah, time I had was one thing. game which yeah. didn't make turn five. I had one game turn four, the rest were turn five. Yeah, I was going to say time was, I mean, in there in the UK, We've dropped the points down now to 1650 or even 1500, right, Matt? Warlords? Yeah, I know Warlords is 1500 next week. Caddy's 1850 still, though. So. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, 18, it's, it's, it's not going to. The problem is, these games are not going to end at um, three. Yeah, they're going to finish naturally because the game is slower. And uh, I think, I don't know what the American guys are going to do, but um, I know that I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally like, to, I don't like playing 1850 in three hours. I think it just. It means you've got to either rush your games or you or you basically play for turn five, and if it goes to turn six and turn seven, well, somehow. Especially you, if you're bringing in another fifteen hundred points a game. Um, that's, just, that's that's a big. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know about some armies are quicker than others, but I mean, I only had some monster creatures. I didn't really summon anything that in most hmm. of my games. I've got all my pre rolls. I've got to roll for, which takes a little bit of time. Matt's got his, you know. Uh, what twenty dice to roll for all his his uh, spells plus the psychic phase, and you've got all you know combats. It's not quick. If you get in combat in turn two or turn three, you're going to spend a lot of time rolling the dice. 
just I just I just think fifteen hundred or sixteen fifty fits better at three hours. If you want to go to three hours fifty or three hours three hours and a half or four hours as ETC does, an eighteen fifty is fine. But um, I mean, you're looking at three day tournaments then, really, aren't you? Um, yeah, that's that's the problem, isn't it? You, you you can't you can't really have four four hours game in a in a in a, in a weekend tournament. It doesn't really work. So I think the only way to go is these points reduction, but. I guess it's up to the organisers. Well, we'll see how that uh, turns out in the GT. We might all be yeah. moaning that 1650 is too much as well. Yep, quite possible. Cool. So that was game two. Game three, I played against... Uh, Stephen Bredkovic. Yes, my mind is completely blank. I played a guard player who had Imperial Knight, two big conscript blobs... Two twenty-man blobs, uh, three, two com- company, com- two platoon commands, and a company command, and then the big rock and stomp of night at the front of it. So I go first in this and just run at him because it's a kill point mission. Thinking if I, I try a vortex on the night, which misses, oh well, and then that just scatters and disappears next turn. I then. So there's no combat turn one. By the end of turn, f- beginning of my turn five, he has five guardsmen sat on his back of his board and three vendettas and the knight. So I've managed to kill through two 50-man blobs, two 20-man blobs, two weapons, two five-man command squads in two, three f- turns, two, three, and four. So six rounds of combat. I managed to chew through that amount of bodies. And then I was so far up on kill points, I managed to get a vendetta in the end, just ignored his knight, just hoping he wasn't rolling a six. And, yeah, he was left with a knight, which I ignored, and a vendetta. That was turn five, and we just... I think we could have had time for a turn six, possibly. But we didn't play it, because it was a game over. So the next morning, game four, I played... Eric Herger, Hoger, I'm not too sure how to say his name. And he had another double guard blob with White Shash, Chancemaster in one, and a Tech Marine, and a Librarian in the other. And he looks at the game and went and goes, oh crap. I get all the powers I need. He plays, he expects to lose the game, but plays to get as many points as he can out of it, because he was doing quite well in the battle points to try and get top bracket even with a loss. And then what happened? he runs forward, gets some points on the objectives to turn one. I then charge. The Seer Council kills five scouts, which is infiltrated, just to get onto an objective. Mm. Which if I'd failed the charge, he would have got some points off. But I think I made a seven or an eight, so nothing stupid. And then this peace pack charged in, and he was a little bit unlucky. He failed his priest reroll. Which meant I killed Chat's Master and Tech Marine because he didn't have the rural saves. And then we looked at the board and went, right, okay, that's a beast pack in comp that's going to finish off that blob next turn. Then he has another blob 20 odd inches away. This before a hit and run or consolidate or anything. And so we looked at the board and both just said, because I think we've been drinking the night before, I can't quite remember. Yeah, uh, that was, that was pu- uh, Purple Puke Night. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to that later. Uh, so, yeah, we look at the board and go, right, 
we both just said to each other, he looked at me and went, we know what's going to happen now, don't we? I'm like, yeah. And both just said, they're going to kill half of them. The second one's going to finish them off. Then the beast pack's going to go and kill that guard blob. So he was there going, my turn three, or after turn two, I'm going to have a wyvern and five bikes left. Let's go get a beer. So that game was nice and easy. But it was just a horrible matchup for him. Mm. Uh, so the next game, I played uh, Gareth Hunt, who James had played twice. Yeah. Real nice guy. This was the game we only got four turns, though, just because we both had... He had a summoning army. I was doing better summoning, lots of powers. He had the two knights, two soul grinders like James had been through with the Screamer Council. It was their points in quarters. I chose number of units. He chose pure points because he could summon more. Because I, I only have some warlocks which tend to blow up. And so, turn one, I zoom up, sit behind a piece of train on the left-hand flank and have an anvil. He moves his grinders forward, his knights come across. Because I had to run on the opposite side of the board just to try and avoid him. He comes a little bit too close to one of his knights. I move up, set up a charge on one of the soul grinders, string ground a little bit, and managed to cast Vortex of Doom with using 11 dice to make sure it goes off onto one of his knights. And he underestimates just how good that spell is. And I, ro- I hit and roll a six. Oh, uh, <laughs> I knew so, that was coming. <laughs> boom. The knight just goes bye bye. And so I'm sat there playing one night, I charge the soul renders, and I think I get one down to a whole point, so I'm locked, so I can't be shot, which is fine. He charges the other one in, it takes a couple of turns, but I grind through him. I then hit him out, oh no, sorry, I don't hit him out, I consolidate out into his backfield. And I scream and cancel, he's got on the other side of the board, in front of a beast pack. I've just charged it. We know we're going to lock each other down. He's happy with that because he's worth more points, I'm happy with that because it shuts him down. And just ties me in one place means I can play around knowing where his points are going second. Oh, sorry, I think I was going third, but in the last turn it gives me the option to move around and counter him. And end of the game it comes down. He needs a knight to move 12 and run 4 inches and to summon a unit and to kill a jet bike to possibly get a draw. We weren't, we weren't quite sure at this point but that could have brought it back down to victory points, possibly, which I think I still would have been up on. But uh, he rolls a two or a three on the run, so doesn't quite make it. The game ends, because we'd already said it would because of time. Because we're in combat from turn two, rolling so much armour bane, when you have to roll every single hit individually with two dice, it drags it out, and all the summoning, it, it just took a while. So yeah, that was five wins. Uh, last game on that day, I was back on the feet stream table, so a few people may have seen the game. Yeah, definitely watched this one as well. And Nurgle Flanders just creature army, where he 12 to the warp storm turn one. Uh, the unit scattered in front of the great and clean one he had into charge range, so I charged it. Next, and he, he puts Grim on it and cursed earth, so just tied him down for a turn. Which is cool by me. I lose a couple of dogs, don't really care. So I hit one off and then I set up a multi charge, which kills 10 plague bearers, a great and clean one, 10 horrors out of 16, 9 or 10 horrors out of 13, and I think possibly another squad. And at that point, it, he had a couple of flamingos creatures flying around. 
and some blood letters which he twelved on the watch on turn two. So I managed to get them. Uh, but that was quite, I did expect him to actually just psychic shriek my Vols Wrath off that game because it was just sat there on its own, mm. easy first blood, and it, it just sat on objective, tightened the objective up because it was uh, Campbell's Investors when I played Investors because I know his five monster just can't do anything about it unless he lands. Then it sat there adding a point to my objective all game where he could have just killed it really easily. And he actually got first blood by vector striking one rack, killing it. They then ran three inches to not run off the board, but then failed their leadership check again and ran off. This was after I charged and did nothing to his play bearers. But yeah, that was another win. So that ended up being six wins in a row on that event and four in the Invitational. So I was going into day four with 10 and 0. So I was quite happy at that point. So, yeah, oh, no, day so, so before Matt goes into day four, it's, you know, Matt's now got his Invitational and he's got his two big games coming up. You know, most normal people would be like, right, let's go and have a bit of a lie down, an early night, <laughs> some dinner, and we'll, we'll I'll think about what I'm going to do. I've got a thousand, I've got a thousand dollar game in the morning, and I've got two games to, to basically win the whole thing. I could, I could steamroll the whole event, but no, they're not Matt. Matt decides, of course, Matt is crazy, and I don't know how, how late he was out till, but um, I think, was this the night where you, you walked in while I was asleep? No, that, uh, that, that was, was the night before. Oh, okay. This, this was a short night. We sat in the room. It was me, him, uh, Trevor, a couple of the guys from the team, and we sat there and we were breaking down. We were breaking down the Scent Star and B Star matchup, and so we were we were doing homework for him to win. No, the only thing I got out of that was cast Jink on them, Death Mission Eldrad, and charge. Yeah, <laughs> that was the only thing. <laughs> that's that what you told me, of. and I was like, right, if that's what you spent all that time doing, I'm doing like a home. That's because you were. That's because you were listening to Brad Nichols. <laughs> no, I think the Saturday night I, I I played it quite chilled. Me and Justin Cook went out for a, a curry with a Reese's Frankie and Jeff Robinson from Frontline Gaming. Had like two or three beers. Reese got very embarrassed after making some really inappropriate comment, which we've all agreed not to wear. And then Jeff did the same actually, but. Uh, so yeah, I was back about twelve one in the morning, I think. I only had to be up at seven, but it was all good. So yeah, going into the last game, invitational. I a lot of people have messed me up going, why the hell did I have second against that list? It was the points in quarters objectives. And at the beginning of the game, which it double checked, his flyers would count without hovering in those quarters. Oh. So we would have had at two Storm Ravens, full of guys, which is roughly 400 points each, Go, if he was going second, he could just put them into whichever quarter he needed, knowing the game's probably going to end turn five, because every single other game had, and go, okay, these two quarters, here's 400 points, I probably sat there where I need them. And that's such a huge swing. That probably would win in the game on its own. Um, do you want to let us know what um, Jack was using? Uh, two Storm Ravens, Six Centurions, Tiggy, Coates, Drago, and three ra- three rhinos with guys inside. Rhinos. Yes. Okay. So he had a psychic shriek out uh, the top, yeah. and then he his first roll he gets gate as well. I think he, 
So my plan was sit the back, hide. He only has, I think it was 10, 12 dice on the board. I have 21 to start the game. So if he's going to throw everything at the gate, I'm going to throw everything to stop it. So he gets five, six passes. I roll, I think it was two sixes. Okay, not too bad. And then roll quite poorly in saves. He kills a lot of the beast pack. I charge in, go, okay, I can try and lock down his gate. Invisibility to say cancel, so his stone comes on, can't touch it. I've got enough dice, I should be able to stop him. I think I rolled one six on the next set. Hmm. So he gates out, and I think he, I don't think he even needs a storm raven missile to wipe out all my beast pack and psychers. I think what some, some of my saves were okay, some were bad. I had 11 horrors go to ground on in some ruins for a three up re-rolling ones. I still lost 8 to 11 saves. I was just like, okay. And I think we had to, I called it turn 4 yeah. because I, I had no way of actually getting enough points into quarters to stop him at least having 2. And then he had secondaries, which would have just tipped him over anyway. So, not the best start to the day. Um, that was my dream of the Invitational over. And your trip to Philly. Waved that thousand dollar yes. check goodbye. Um, anything? Anything you reckon you could have done differently, or was it just the the, uh, the, the dice? I think if I'd known the missions more, I would have played the other option of the mission and just start with everything on the board and just spam the quartz full of guys and go, okay, I'm going to rack up some points. You can only deal with me bit by bit and hope to rack up enough and stop him late game. That's would one of the downsides of not Summoning a lot helps you in that as well? Uh, yeah, I, did. I think I did have three or four guys who could have summoned that game. Mm. But just having the jet bikes in... The in quarters, just having more units than him would have been able to rack up two or three points a turn, would have been good. So then we're on to semi final game, which uh, we all saw on stream as well. Uh, uh, I don't think I was on for the semi final. No, you weren't. Oh my god, what a prick. <laughs> the, four, the four games I was on the stream were yeah. Invitational games three and four, open. Game four, no, open game six and invitational final. Yeah, you're right. And then, uh, so yeah, I played Tony Kopak, UTC member who and infamous American. Uh, I was going first. I had invisibility, I had fortune, I had all the powers I needed. I had protect and everything on the walks as well. I had some summoning, some Santic over there. So I was happy with my powers, happy going first. And he turned around and said to me, okay, I'm going to seize because that's the only chance I've got. If I don't, you're probably going to take what we're here. And then just before the game as well, he knocked the dice for the turns, just flicking it away, just because we're good friends, we're having a laugh, and it rolls a six. This is how I'm still deploying. I'm like, no, Tony, that's not counting. Carry on. <laughs> and then, because if many people don't may not know, we took Inflatable Sheep with us as part of the Welsh team for a bit of fun. We took him to the ETC, everyone loved him. We took him to Nova, and they went down a hit. So, before this game, we actually spent the first half hour playing tennis over the table, using the sheep as rackets, 
and a ball paper as a ball. And that was just how we started the game because we were that kind of mood. Uh, so then he, after I'm done deploying, after he's done, he picks up the sheep. And in, for those who know the sheep, he inserts the dice. I'm not going to go into details because we're trying to be a nice podcast. And then he inserts the dice, squeezes it out the sheep, and it rolls a six and proceeds to neuter the beast pack. And then after a few turns, because it's another points in objectives and he's put units in quarters, uh, he ended up having racking up a, a few points and in the end he, he wins that game and then goes on to play Thomas in the final. Whereas if I think if he hadn't have seized, I would have been confident in going into that game of winning it and then playing Thomas in the final, a little bit of a mirror match where I have more dice so I can stop his powers, hopefully get mine off. Well, if he'd have rolled the powers that he rolled against Tony, it would have been uh, pretty short work for you as well. It seems yeah. that when you get to that sort of level, obviously everyone's playing to their highest ability, but you know, yeah, one or two I, dice rolls can really just... I did find when you get to that point where you're playing 13 games, possibly in a weekend, when you're jet-lagged, which I know me and Thomas, who got to the final both were, lack of sleep in my case, and so you get, you need a little bit of luck, and it just, everything just comes into it at that point, so I think, I know Tony, the last three games, managed to seize twice, and then Thomas didn't roll invisibility on all his dice, mm. so he got the little bit of luck he needed, and then went on to win the event, but nothing that was taken away from him, he's a very, very good player, and a good friend of mine, so he actually got to keep one of the sheep after that, but I think Jesse has the other one. I do. Which should be making an appearance tomorrow night, if I'm right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be be bringing Bahabra to the store tomorrow night. So you'll be able to catch that on uh, on the YouTube. Yeah, uh, on YouTube and our live stream at 7 p.m. Uh, on Twitch. 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Which, which which will be um, an archive by the time that this goes out. So yeah. <laughs> And, and, and I forgot, I have to specify Eastern time with, with you guys too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so overall opinions on the tournament um, like and how you think it will affect the meta moving forward and people's decisions going forward? I absolutely loved the event. <laughs> it was really well organised, really well run. Uh, great games. Uh, everybody who played was really good laugh, had loads of fun, made some great friends. And yeah, I'm, I'm now got added to the infamous 11th company mentioned Endless Chat. And I now know why it's called the Endless Chat. <laughs> <laughs> Within a minute of yes. being on the Purple Puke Night, I think I had 30 notifications on my phone. Which reminds me to switch them off till the morning. Yeah. Uh, word of advice: Don't scroll up. No matter what you might have missed, just don't scroll up. You'll get lost. It's the vortex in which you cannot escape. Yeah, yeah, that's Jesse's rule. Jesse just goes with the no scrolling up rule, which isn't a terrible way to look at it. <laughs> so yeah, apart from the purple night, it was all good fun, and I've I've remembered why I don't drink red wine. And the purple night was tons of fun, regardless of if it was purple or not. 
that is true. Apart from having to buy back our own alcohol. That was that was weird. But uh, the purple night the purple night was great. I almost died that night. Yes, I managed to beat Jesse in wrestling. It still counts. Okay. It does not count. What's your finishing move? Uh, well, Jesse decided as we sat in the lounge at the top floor of the hotel, point me and go, Matt, we're wrestling now. So I go, yeah, okay, cool. Justin, tag. Oh. So <laughs> those who don't know, Justin and Jesse kid. are similar size. But Je- Justin used to do wrestling for high school, I think. Okay. So knows what he's doing. Jesse, well, this was both drunk. Yeah. Jesse almost had a chance. I did. I got out of a I got out of a headlock that would have probably snapped my neck. And then I got I got Justin down to the ground and then next thing I know my forearms are in my mouth and he's just laying on top of my head. A link to this video will be posted in the podcast notes. Is there a video here? Yes. Yes, there there, there oh, is fabulous. indeed video. Fabulous. Um, Send that to me now in Skype, please. Let me find it. I, yeah, it it's, should be on my Facebook wall. Okay. Check that one out, guys. We'll uh, we'll include that in the notes. Forget the highlights of the games. We'll just put that in there. Well, for, and for those who don't, who didn't see, the sheep tennis was live on stream. Oh, awesome! There it is. So, um, do you reckon you'll be using that list more? Um, obviously, it's Gaz, Gaz's list. So no, I will never touch that list again. Have you had enough? Why? It was ridiculous. It was good, but it, it wasn't me. I want to do. I want to be something a bit more fun, a bit more random. Okay. Although I did also come away with a, sh- a shirt from my adopted gaming group, which managed to fit me and my brother inside. Oh, that's your new uh, team stomping grounds. Kit, yes, it? it's an extra, extra, extra large. So we'll see you camping in that uh, over the summer. It's a two-man tent. If anyone wants to join me, feel free. <laughs> Thanks, man. That makes me feel great. <laughs> you, you should feel terrible. Uh, but now it's a little bit big for me. That's what I hear about America. It it was great fun. The yeah. event was great fun. Met loads of cool guys, loads of new friends, which is what the hobby's all about, really. And then had 12 great games to go with it. He also found out that Bonatelli joined Liverpool's football club. That oh, yes. was a, that was a revelation for him. And I'm sure Matt Serena will be able to tell us exactly where Warrington's located for anybody interested in going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> you know what? Oh, man, I wish I'd have been there the next night. <laughs> Make oh, yeah. fun of you drinking wine. <laughs> By the way, Matt's the kind of guy that puts back three bottles of wine and then and then starts actually drinking. FYI. Uh, yeah, and about three. I can drink about two and still be perfectly fine and keep drinking whiskey. <laughs> Are you a big guy as well? Or? I'm a big guy, but I've also been drinking wine for a majority of my life. My family's Italian. I started drinking wine when I was about 10. Uh. I've seen you drinking whiskey. It doesn't go well. Well, hold on. by the time you saw me drinking whiskey, I was uh, a half. So before we even went to dinner, I was a half a bottle of Jameson into the night. <laughs> That's before I got to dinner. So, yeah, mind you, we were at dinner for like three hours before you showed up, Matt. Yeah, just drinking. 
so. I like seeing it was more fun. So I, I that, believe it. What was the aspect like of it anyway? Because obviously Washington's quite a historic place. Um, it was good. I only went out the one night because I was so busy gaming. Yeah. It was just the gaming wise was it was so intense. I found I had no time to do anything. It's like my last game. I was actually still in the running for Battlemaster by having the most victory points or the most battle points. But I was just too tired. I was in the semi-finals. Yeah, so exactly. I played that last one. It would have been third or fourth. I definitely think, uh, you know, as a nerd, is something to look at. You talk about tournaments and stuff, and I think if you're talking about traveling to the U.S. for an event, Nova is certainly one of the biggest. Adepticon is another one I strongly recommend. Um, Again, it's another one There's long, like, multi-day events. It's got a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of events. There's a team event. There's a doubles event. There's the the actual main event. It's a bigger convention unto itself, too. Like, there there are so many more other side events, vendors, demos. Um, it take it literally consumes the hotel it was at. It's now getting moved to a convention center. It's gone so big, so it's getting its own off-site location. Um, it's another one that if you're looking to come to the U.S. for an event, uh, it's just hands down. Like if you like, we go to Nova, and for us, for us on the East Coast, Nova's like the smaller of the two events we go to. Adepticon is the everyone goes to event. Even though it's Chicago, it's in about you know a 10, 12 hour drive. It's you know yeah, not, no questions asked. If if we had to drive ten hours to get to an event, there would be no <coughs> attendance. It's like events. it's weird over here. I'm going. I got invited to the team event in Italy, in Rome. It's the same weekend as Heat Two, so we've already committed to going to Heat Two. We're driving to Heat Two, which will take us not roughly five hours. Where do you live? In Warrington. Okay. In three hours, I could Where's that, Matt? Oh, yes, I know exactly what it is, actually. (laughs) But, yeah, in three hours, I can get to Rome. That's how crazy it is over here. That's a little bit of putting things into scale. Can I ask you this? How long does it take driving across the UK? Like, you know, driving north and south. I'm guessing that's the the longest distance. About 12 hours? 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we didn't even we we haven't even hit the Mississippi yet, and we're we're just getting to Adepticon. That is ridiculous. Yeah, no one size comparison. No one in the UK would ever drive from Scotland to the south coast. You'd just fly. It just wouldn't happen. No. See, I, I guess like I mean, we're spoiled. We cer- we certainly have some guys fly to Adepticon. Um, it's convenient for guys who have to work extra days. The biggest thing is you have to get all your gear, and we all hate. Like I, I have never actually flown an army before. Mm. I know this year we're hoping that we can get uh, get someone to pretty much be our our little Sherpa and drive all of our gear out, and we can just fly. That's the plan this year. Are you guys coming in January then? Still trying to work it out because the problem the. The only big thing is it's January is your event. Uh, February is Las Vegas Open. March is Adepticon. So yeah, I thought I be... thought you were gonna do the um, like the exchange program of doing um, Cali in January, then they do uh, LVO. I thought that was the that was the deal, right? Well, that's what it, so LVO is February, and then right. Bay Area Open is like July. Mm. So I, the thing is, Bay or LVO is so much cheaper. Because 
hotels and flights into Las Vegas are so cheap as compared yeah. to everywhere else because the, the actual county <laughs> subsidizes the cost of the flight. So Ramsey, actually, me and Ramsey were talking yesterday. For us to fly to Vegas, return would be £400. And the hotel room is like £40 a night for a twin room. It's yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's like Vegas is such a cheap way to do things because they just, it's a tourist destination. They'll do whatever it takes to get you there, assuming that when you're there, you're spending a bunch of money. So, I don't know. It, there's just a lot of events coming up in three, in like March, Adepticon is a must go to. So, we're trying to, I'm trying to figure it all out at this point, trying to figure out also the cheapest flight. I'm guessing it'll be yeah. easiest to fly into Manchester. Yeah, if you, if you can't, there's a team event in June as well, which is. More laid back, that'd be fun. Team event, then we have to fly over with a team. Well, if it's two of you, that's half a team. Uh, then we'll have to go recruiting. We'll, have to, well, yeah, but nobody else will probably fly over. Oh, well, we'll get people from over here. Me and Ramsey will do it. Heard it here first. <laughs> and also, a look out for Team Canada 2015 as well. That's going to be. <laughs> I can't put that out there. <laughs> um, I don't know if I ever want to be Canadian. So there you have it. That is the end of our inaugural podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found it informative and interesting. Uh, apologies for any of the rough edges, but this is our first attempt. It will only get better, I promise you. Um, please leave any feedback, encouraging words, or... Uh, Polite criticisms uh, on the Facebook group page, which is Allies of Convenience Podcast. Please subscribe and uh, leave a review if you can uh, through iTunes or whatever uh, system you use to get hold of your podcasts. Um, and yeah, feel free to submit it for review on uh, any other sites and what have you. Uh, we will be doing uh, one-off specials when they are warranted for things like releases, um, large-scale events and that sort of thing. Um, so look out for those as well. But we're going to be trying to get out a regular release every two weeks. Uh, so we will see you in two weeks' time.